once again to the Coffee and Heroes podcast. Uh, we're back now onto our weekly programming with our uh, first proper weekly review show of 2020, which will be spoiler filled. This is going to be a review show for the titles that came out on the 8th of January. Itself, an okay day. The 9th is a better day, you know. That being your birthday, of that course. That would have been my birthday. Oh, that voice, that those dulcet tones you hear from Mr. <laughs> uh, Keith Miller joining us. How are you? As well as... Hello, Roddy here. And uh, we're short of Keelan and we're short of Vicky today. We are indeed. Yeah, I'm afraid you're just stuck with us three, but you know, I was going to say you still get your Mr. DC, Mr. Marvel and Mr. Indy, but very little DC to talk about this week. Mm. It was a quieter week, I think, after they front-loaded the 18th so heavily. I think they've just sort of rationed them out since then. But uh, obviously we'll we'll get to that. Uh, first of all, how are you, fine gentlemen, this Monday evening? Yeah, dead on, dead on. Uh, stormy day in Belfast today. It was, you know, Roddy was kind enough to give us both a lift home from the store. <laughs> I did not fancy biking. That storm, I uh, storm Brendan got Vicky. Is earlier. that what it's called? Storm, storm Brendan, Brendan yeah, I believe. Storm Brendan, yeah. Yeah. Can, we, can we not call it Storm Wee Brendan? Wee Brendan. That would be a W rather than a B, and I think they need the B. <laughs> I think that's what it is. Uh, how was the weekend? Um, yeah, I mean, good weekend for me. Um, as I said, yeah, it was my birthday last Thursday. These kind gentlemen were kind enough to surprise me along with uh, Vicky and Andy, and we all went out for dinner Thursday night. It was really good fun. Shout out to Frit. What a restaurant, Frit. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. One of, one of Vicky and I's favourites. Um, then we came back here, had a few drinks. Well, we had a few, Andy had a lot. <laughs> that man could yeah. put it away. Yeah. <laughs> Holy moly. Um, He's got experience. So, so yeah, that was uh, that was Thursday night, and then uh, my Friday night was spent taking care of a very, 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 very hungover Vicky. So hungover, she barely got out of bed. Yeah. Fair enough, it happens to the best of us. It does. Uh, and then Saturday was an interesting day. Yeah, Saturday, um, we got our first taste of a little bit of tabletop gaming. We were around this table again. Yeah, we were. Yeah, we all, we should have really just recorded it all, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then everyone could have agreed with my choice of what to do when I was Daredevil. So yeah, <laughs> we had a sort of like a I don't exactly know the name for it, but it was a dungeons and dragons version or sorry a marvel version of dungeons and dragons we were the term would just be role-playing game yeah, role playing a, a game, yeah. Role playing game, we yeah. were joined by martin and kaylin and the three of us all around the table and that was our that was my certainly first taste of the uh tabletop role playing here. game same here great how do we go as blade took took us a while to get into it but i think once we really got into it it was, was it was good. class wasn't it <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, the thing I said to Keith today about it was that, you know, it was like a four-hour game, but not once where you're looking at your watch or being like, is this nearly over yet or whatever? I get yeah, the feeling we yeah. barely scratched the surface of an act one. Yeah, you're, the... you're kind of there. You're kind of, yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. Um, not not my first go. Uh, I'm sort of a, a long-time tabletop gamer. Uh, and not Martin's first go either. He's also a long-time tabletop gamer. In fact, we used to uh, to game together. We've gamed together Jesus, for about 25 years, I think. Um, but uh, it's been a long time since I played. It's been about two years since I played anything, so mm -hmm. it was nice to to find a group of people who were who were interested in taking part. So, uh, well, maybe have another wee go. No, definitely. Uh, absolutely, yeah. adding to your nerd scores. Oh, I accumulated yeah. five <laughs> plot points. We're definitely playing again. I rolled rolled a couple of ones. <laughs> so yeah, we're getting there. Yeah, we're getting there. And uh, I think the person who was most happiest about us playing was Keith. Got a phone call from his mother just before we started, <laughs> and uh, I think you told her that Martin was playing. It's like, oh, it's so good you two are still playing together <laughs> after all these you years. You might, you might both be over forty years old, but <laughs> sure. 
<laughs> young at heart young at heart um and then yeah just rest of the weekend was just spent chilling for me how about you guys cool um yeah saturday been, night aside of course yeah been back to running a lot um went for a 10 mile or sorry 10k run yesterday did something similar on saturday before i came over here um and then did a bit of babysitting on saturday and you haven't even mentioned the biggest thing that happened to you last week Come on. Oh, yeah. Well, obviously, being an audio podcast, nobody can see. We will. I will make sure this week's podcast picture is not of the cups in the store. It's going to be a view for that. So I have um, basically, if nobody knows, I used to be, I used to have a lot of hair and a lot of beard. (laughs) A floppy haired Adonis. Yeah. um, Very long hair down to my shoulders and then gradually got a cut. And now I've basically. Got a one at the sides and a wee fade on top. It's <laughs> so positively short. It is very short. <laughs> Beard I, I short picked, as well. I picked the wrong time of year to get it done because I can feel I can feel the wind on the side of me. <laughs> uh, I'm a streamlined version, but yeah, that's that's probably the biggest news. Um, went to see Jojo Rabbit How was yesterday. That? It was very very good. I really really enjoyed it. Great. Um, uh, it managed to don't want to spoil anything, obviously, but um, really captured um this light and darkness to it it was really great and it was very funny but it's also very dark and tragic at the same time and it walked like a really fine line between those two so I'd highly recommend it and i think me and my girlfriend are off to see 1917 tomorrow so a lot of films on the go lovely so yeah what about what about you keith how was the rest of your weekend uh, i had a bit of a tough bit of a tough one uh lost a uh, a friend and uh and a mentor and an inspiration uh in the uh in the form of lyndon stevens who uh was a bit of a a bit of a legend on the uh, northern Ireland music scene the owner of uh Quiet Arch and Champion Sound um record company and uh management company um Lyndon's been sick for for a while and sadly uh the cancer got the better of him uh, and he passed away early on Friday morning so that was a bit of a bit of a loss personally bit of a loss for the the industry in which I I work um yeah, sorry to hear that yeah and I appreciated I appreciated uh, your guys support throughout the throughout the weekend um and as i say it's just i think everybody's sort of starting to, to to come to terms with the whole thing you know it was uh it was expected but but earlier than we we had still never fully prepared you for yeah, it yeah yeah exactly that so um so yeah so uh it was a bit of a, an up and down weekend so so getting to sit here and hang out with you guys on saturday night was definitely therapeutic there was a big a big gig on friday night uh which was ironically uh, to say goodbye to the, the 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 management company, which which uh, Lyndon created, uh, we didn't realise we would also be celebrating his life that night. So the gig went ahead, and one of the most beautiful uh, gigs and most fantastic audiences we've ever been been part of. Really, it shows how the a community can come together in order to support one another, and sort of these sort of times of times of of trouble, you know, and sad news. So that really was fantastic, and. Uh, Lyndon's been associated with uh, and managed people like Kieran Lavery, uh, Ryan Vale, and Elmo Orchestra, Joshua Burnside. Um, so you know all of those artists played, and it was really it was really something to behold. You know, so that was that was pretty therapeutic as well. So, so yeah, it's uh, it's tough times, but these things happen, and uh, and and we push through them with uh, the support of our friends. So, uh, so yeah, absolutely, we'll miss him, but uh, may he may he rest in power. Yeah. 
No, well, that's it. I mean, obviously, we, we did our best to sort of take Keith's mind off it and all the rest. I think that was one of the reasons it was good to go ahead with the game as well on Saturday night. And, you know, company's always the best cure, I think. For, oh, big stuff for, for me, anyway. So, yep. um, so, yeah, I mean, it was it was sad to hear, but um, it sounded like he had a great life and influenced a lot of people. And, you know, as you say, it was, I suppose it was kind of weird going to that gig. It was kind of a celebration. And it's good that people treated it that way rather than, you know, a sad event or cancelling it. It was more a... You know, let's do it in his honour and oh, very much doing so. proud. You know, so, so yeah, sad news to hear that. Um, I mean, there's no easy transition away from that kind of stuff. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we will uh, we will jump away from that and on to um, move on to some of the sort of news and bits and pieces that came through this week, sort of comic related. Um, first thing that comes to mind is the Oscar nominations came out today. Anyone who has listened to us before probably knows we do not put a lot of stock into the Oscars. I mean, Suicide Squad is an Oscar-winning movie. <laughs> uh, but this year's, I have to say, is a very interesting bunch. Uh, the main reason I was keeping a, a very close eye on it was because I was a massive fan of Joker. I think uh, we all were. I mm -hmm. think that, you know, I would say 90% of the, the guys that come into the store were all very, very positive about that movie and very surprised by it because I... Remember when it was announced, I thought it was the worst idea in the world, directed yeah, by yeah, the guy yeah. who did The Hangover and no links to any other movies. And yeah, it was. Uh, I remember thinking, why is this movie even being made? And now yeah. I, you wonder if it's set maybe a template for more interesting sort of interpretations of these characters yeah. that are just one shots and not worried about universes. And it that's, was Marvel have perfected that, you know. That's what I would like to see more prestige, sort of. Uh, don't want to use the word superhero, but more prestige sort of black label. Black label. Oh no! <laughs> well, do you know what? Coming it, soon, Harleen. Do you know Joe, that that film would have worked as a black label title? So yeah, you know, I'll go, I'll go along with that. But um, just as long as it's not shot in a stupid format. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't make it extra wide. <laughs> so we have we have to create a new, an entirely new cinema for this. Well, it's interesting with Joker because just before it came out it had really positive reviews and then all these negative reviews came through and there was all this fear of like white incels you know rising and unrest in the streets and all this kind of stuff it's gonna you know corrupt the youth of today and all sorts of stuff uh ironically enough i was sharing a story with keith today that the only cinema related incident there's been in the last six months was for frozen 2 in a cinema in birmingham where, oh wow yeah where a couple of people actually set up and threatened other people with a machete so Frozen right. Two clearly, and you know, instills that sort of level of violence, you know. But interesting. Um, it's interesting with Joker got the most nominations of anything, eleven in total. Yeah. Well, so. do you know? For me, I'm not really bothered about the Oscars, but doesn't really fizz on me either. Do you know? I, for me, that I think it's one of the best performances I've seen mm -hmm. this year. Um, I've seen a lot of good movies, but I've still got a few to see from this this year's bunch um but i think he's just he's captured something there yaquin phoenix and it's a, it's a magnetic excuse me it's a magnetic performance mm -hmm. and there's only a couple of other movies i would give that to um certainly christian bale and ford versus ferrari um would be another one once upon a time in hollywood and leo yeah leo and brad to be yeah. fair but um christian bale yeah. didn't even get nominated didn't it? No. Is Ford vs. Ferrari just Best Picture? Is it, it is down for Best Picture, and I think it might be down for something like cinematography yeah. or edit, oh, film editing. And uh, that would appear to be it. Ah, well, 
though that just shows oh, you. Oh, take it back, best sound editing ah, as well. Ah, that just shows you then. Um, but I was surprised uh, Endgame didn't get a bit more. I thought it was sort of... Yeah, with it sort of being like the cap to that, you know, pun intended. Uh, See what you did. <laughs> See what you did. To that saga, the same way Return of the King was, you know, rewarded all those years ago. Um, but then again, Star Wars movies have never got a lot of love, despite yeah. their influence. And it's that's for me like that 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 is the Oscars is not a representation of the best of the year in yeah. cinema for me. But it's really interesting. Like I'm, I'm excited to see what how this helps our industry, the industry that we are interested in, the comic yeah. book. And the only thing I would like to see is why is the is the Joker getting more people to come to comic shops like mm -hmm. to your shop as well you know i would say it That's actually like has yeah it's, it, but the only thing is it's kind of interesting because people come into the store and they say oh what joker titles have you got and you always have to sort of go well he doesn't really have an awful lot of his own titles <laughs> he's more of a foil for batman um there is one or two examples you know uh Lieber mayo did a series joker uh, Batman Damned is very heavily Joker related. There, there's stories that have the Joker in them a lot. Killing are, Joke. Are there not about 15 Joker titles out at the minute in Black Label? No. Yeah, we'll get. Uh, once well, not really, smile. because Harleen is about Harleen. Um, there was Joker Criminal Sanity, but even then, Joker's barely been in it in two right, issues. It's okay. more of a Harley series. But uh, it's it's great to see with Joker getting rewarded in this way. But you know, I've chatted a wee bit before about it as well. I just wish it hadn't been come out the same year as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because <laughs> I love that movie as well. Yeah. Yeah. and as you say DiCaprio is, is amazing in it but I really want Joaquin Phoenix to take it for Joker because as you say it's a really fearless performance it's a real you had no idea if it was going to work or not mm -hmm. and you know without that performance that movie doesn't work oh definitely it doesn't matter definitely. what else you do the movie just it's, doesn't work yeah so uh, yeah I mean it's there's a lot of interesting ones on there although I say that I'm not similar to you guys not that bothered by the Oscars this year there are a lot of good things nominated. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Joker, you know, Irishman, Jojo Rabbit's even in there as well yep, for best yep. best picture. And for the first time ever, there is a foreign movie in the best film category with Parasite from uh, Bong Joon-ho, who is a Korean director. So I've heard that uh, the name of that movie a few times. Yeah, it's popped up a couple of times on my radar as well. I must really get into it. And I see that marriage story has been very highly... Yeah, it's brutal. Rewarded. I've seen yeah. the trailer for it, and I think to myself, do I really want to watch that? It's um. Did you ever have you ever seen Blue Valentine? I've never watched that either. That it's is also, Gosling it's just, and um, yeah. um, uh, Michelle Williams. Michelle um, Williams. It's a heartbreaker, you know, but it's uh, bet like yourself, Roddy. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's um yeah. I think it's it's worth a watch, but yeah, it's a it's a it's an emotionally draining picture. But certainly, certainly one of Scarlett Johansson's best performances, and she's in Jojo Rabbit too. So she's nominated twice. She's yeah, nominated for best actress and best supporting. <laughs> I'm sure so. the internet's and gonna that love means, that. <laughs> but the thing is, though, when that happens, usually they win neither because their votes are yeah. split. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but just know, as you talk about marriage story, I know this is a comic podcast, but just quickly, we've talked before about the before trilogy, you know, before oh, yeah. sunrise, yeah. before sunset, and then before midnight. That third movie is a brutal look at yes. long term yeah, relationships. It's, yeah, it's quite, I would say, marriage story is quite similar to that, yeah. but it's maybe a bit more hopeless. It just feels a bit more interesting in before 
midnight because you follow these characters over three time periods. Yeah. So it's just interesting and heartbreaking to watch. But but that's uh zero comic related. Yeah, content you should, all, right you should all watch it before trilogy. That's that's the content comic book fans really want to see. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, no, for Avengers, just as you mentioned that for uh Endgame it only got nominated for one thing and that was uh best visual effects. And mm-hmm. it's up against 1917, The Irishman, The Lion King, and Star Wars. So it'd be nice to see Endgame get something, because as you say, it was a fantastic achievement to get to that point and tie together 20-plus movies. Mm-hmm. The fact it made any sort of sense was a miracle, you know, when you <laughs> think about it. So uh, hopefully it'll at least get a little bit of love there. It would be an interesting world if we lived in one where Suicide Squad is an Oscar-winning movie and Avengers Endgame is not. <laughs> See, again, this is where my sort of lack of interest in sort of the Oscars <laughs> comes in. Um, I mean, speaking of movies, obviously there was a couple of other things, obviously more comic-related for us. Um what should we talk about first? Should we go with the Doctor or should we go with the Vampire? They're both Doctors. Should we go with the Doctor or should we go with the Doctor? Let's go with the Doctor. <laughs> um, well, we'll throw out the Morbius trailer because we, uh, <laughs> we watched that just before, well, not long before we started recording. Uh, Did- spoilers. Did we say spoilers? No, but there's going to be a new thing added at the answer? start that says spoilers, but you know, this is time travel at its best right here. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Morbius trailer, don't have to go into too much detail on it, but we watched it before we uh, started recording. Got to be honest, traditionally, wasn't really something that was really on my radar, to be honest. Mm, it was, no, not at all. I wasn't, wasn't interested. But the trailer maybe turned me around a little bit. Looks interesting, looks different to some other superhero movies. Uh, there was obviously a couple of links to other existing movies out there, which mm-hmm, were yep, unexpected. Yep, definitely. Uh, that, that came out of nowhere. Yeah, so. it's, it's not often you can actually keep these things secret in the age of the internet. Usually something has been leaked or something has been spoiled or, you know, that kind of thing. So, but yeah, I thought the trailer looked good. Um, what about you guys? Yeah, it, um, to me, it looked, you know, like passable, sort of serviceable fare. It didn't really have... I mean, that's what they aim for. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't really have anything unique for me that made it stand out as a trailer um um yeah like jared leto is one hell of an actor has been in some of my favorite films you know like requiem for a dream and blade runner 2049 um yeah but mm, there's there's something about it that just made me think this looks a bit like a dodgy do you know one of those lionsgate movies from i don't know from the yeah i see what you mean i see what you mean either way um but yeah, like I'm, I'm excited for it. I love just Morbius drop, as a character, you know. Just drop Blade in there somewhere now that they've cast a new Blade, and uh, yeah, I'll just save the whole movie. Let's be honest. Well, that, that's that's the interesting thing about uh, Michael Morbius. Yeah, is he's not a vampire in the traditional sense. Uh, he's a vampire. He's a he's a living vampire, so he's not he's not the undead. Uh, he has a uh, certainly uh, with regard to the the comics character, the Spider Man, sometime villain, sometime ally. Um, he he was a doctor who suffers from a blood disease, um, and he uh, he uses his scientific skill in order to cure that blood disease, and in doing so, takes on the uh, some of the the, the um, distinguishing features of a vampire bat. Yeah, as uh, what happens in trying and trying to so yeah, so it's it's kind of interesting. It's kind of it's a slightly different take on the vampire, but yeah, he's not he's not the undead. Yeah, but he still thirsts for blood. He does in order because his body doesn't produce the the the, the, the certain uh, 
whatever factor that needs produced in his so he gets it from other folks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um yeah, it's just it didn't wow me, but definitely definitely want to see it. I think there there might be something there and I think with the added ties to the the MCU that I think that just puts it over the top and I think it'll be a big big success. Yeah. Yeah, it looks interesting. Good cast to it as well. You know, as you say Jared Leto, um Interestingly, saw Matt Smith turn up in it. I didn't yeah. realize he was going to be. Know in who it. he is? Jared. I know who Matt Smith is. I don't know who's playing. Yeah. Jared Harris. Jared as Harris, well. yeah. excellent actor yeah, as well. Good so, shade. Uh, although watching that, I was sitting watching that trailer, going, "Where do I know him from? Where do I know him from? Where do I know him from?" Chernobyl. It just yeah. dawned on me, just like <laughs> right on time. Uh, really good in Mad Men as well. So yeah, uh, the other Doctor, of course, to talk about was Doctor Strange. Uh, Scott Derrickson, who directed the first movie. Yep. Is uh, stepped away due to quote creative distant differences. Mm, um, I mean, are those creative differences? Say, I've heard it suggested that uh, Derrickson wanted to go down a, a horror route, and maybe Disney slash Marvel aren't interested. I've also heard vice versa. Yeah. Well, um, the horror route is his background with oh, Sinister would... and oh yeah, of course, yeah, the fantastic movies. Emily, yeah. Emily Rose as well, and I think he did uh, the remake of. The day the Earth stood still, as well. Yeah. I think, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah um, so yeah, yeah. I don't really know about that. I'm really disappointed because I, I was, I really big fan of the first Doctor Strange. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, I'd worry that these Marvel movies are just going to be samesies. Do you know, like they're all going to yeah, be yeah. off a standard. And what I really think was great about some of the early ones, you know, Captain America, the first Avenger, was this. Uh, Joe Johnson, like old school rocketeer, like, like a period movie. Yeah, and um, you know, like Ant Man was your heist movie. Yeah, yeah and um, but it's interesting that you mention Ant Man because that was uh, supposedly a at the time a plagued production because yes, uh, the original right, yeah. director and writer uh, dropped off it. But sure, that turned out all right. It did better than expected, I think. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of other things I'd worry that. I don't think Marvel's in any sort of trouble, but I I really do want even like Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, it uh, this directors certainly have a stamp on it, and I would and I would worry that, you know, I don't want the rest of the films to be uniform. Yeah, so maybe a change of director is a good thing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It could go either way. I mean, he pretty much laid that template for Doctor Strange, and it. Even now, it stands apart from the rest of the movies in terms of how it looks, in terms of the ideas it explores. So, yeah, it would have been good to have money. Obviously, signed on because he was excited and had a story to tell. But, but he's still involved in some way, I believe, isn't he? I think With it's just producer. a producing credit. I yeah. think that's just a sort of cheers for the work you did in the first one. Sure, a similar thing happened. Remember with Deadpool? I know, obviously, character. I know you hate Keith, but like the first <laughs> Quite Deadpool, the, movie, though. the first Deadpool movie. Apparently, the second one, the, the guy who directed the first said. I don't want a bigger budget, you know. And Ryan Reynolds was like, no, 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 we got to push for a bigger budget, push for a bigger budget. And then they got it and they fired that director, brought in a new guy. And Deadpool 2 was a piece of yeah, I never crap. S- never you know? saw Deadpool 2. Like, I really mm-hmm. like the first one. The first mm-hmm. one works. Mm-hmm. I really don't like the second one. It was just a no, let's tell no a joke best. every 30 yeah, seconds. Yeah, 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 and yeah. yeah, you know, so I have zero interest in ever watching it again. But. But then again, Venom, just throwing it out there as well, is going to have a different director for the second one. It's Andy Serkis who's doing yeah, it. It's probably probably for the best. Uh, so, yeah, who knows? We'll, we, we will see. It we was, see. Uh, I guess uh, Venom was one of those movies that I would nearly consider like one of those movies you were talking about 
like from the nineties because it, it was just great special effects but terrible movie. <laughs> Joe, I've never seen it. <laughs> it's a strange movie. Yeah, very strange. It is genuinely one moment like stupid slapstick comedy, and like two minutes later, it's like a really dark, serious drama. It 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 has no tone. It's all over the place. It has all the tones. Yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe that's it. <laughs> it is too many tones. Too many I tones. See. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it for the, the comic slash movie world of the last week. Other than, of course, Jason Faybook just tweeted out <laughs> not long before we started. Three Jokers, big news coming soon. Yes. Sorry, Roddy, we can cut that out. Yeah. <laughs> we, we warned him before not to mention it. So just he, in case... He has they, a list of things. Just in case they cut that part out, <laughs> uh, Jason Faybook just tweeted saying... He's going to be a uh, some news on Three Jokers soon, but you know DC's definition of soon these days is probably he'll uh, let us know in the next you know two months. No, I know. But he is having a bit of fun with it, in fairness. So yeah. we'll we'll see. But uh, <laughs> anyway, away from the comics and away from the movie world, I should say, and on to some comics. Uh, very strong week this week, I thought, um, and I know my tastes are definitely changing, uh, or certainly becoming more diverse when i say it's a really strong week and yet it was a very minor week for dc only a couple of titles came out mm. i think they sort of paved the way for the relaunch of batman under the new creative team sort of gave it a bit of breathing space i think also they front-loaded december 18th so heavily that they're running out of releases to seems, put out. seems like they're just having a wee break in january either a little bit even this coming week the the titles are a little less uh a little less frequent but the following week is pretty massive. Yeah. I was doing my top-up orders there uh, this morning. Uh, Marvel had a very strong week, I thought. Lots of really good stuff. Um, you know, a couple of our picks of the week are Marvel, so we'll, we'll get to that. And then indie stuff as well. Yeah. Ooh. Really good indie week. Um, there's a lot of big new releases, a couple of new number ones in there, some stuff finishing that I'm going to talk about certainly in a little while. And a lot of good stuff in the middle where things are just, you know, number like twos and threes, mm -hmm. that sort of thing, you know. I think we're we're really in the golden age of indie as well. Mm. Well, yeah. good stuff from the indie picks this week. There's boom titles, there's Dark Horse, there's Image, yeah. there's, you know, there's a great variety, which is great rather than, you know, I think when we first started this podcast, it used to just be Image, 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 yeah. Image, Image. Then we had a boom, 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 boom. Yeah. <laughs> so but it's now, good oh, sorry. Oh, no, 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 at all. I was just going to say, it's yeah. just, it's nice to see that, you know, the, the, it's spreading across all the, um, yeah. all of the different companies. So, you know, long may it continue. I think this was maybe the uh, strongest week for the Dawn of X titles, which are sort of about number four, number five. Mm -hmm. And every one of them has been a killer. Like, it's I been. I think they're all as far as number five yeah. at this point, except for X-Men yeah. and Fallen Angels, which I think is this week. Yeah, I think it's the, is um, the last one this week. Yeah, is it going to five or six? Might be going to six. Yeah. Uh, and then I think it's, you know, it's getting replaced by Wolverine. And I mean, we we talk about Dawn of X stuff. Um, it's actually not any of our picks of the week, but that's probably because every week it seems like we're always picking one. Yeah, yeah. We like to showcase Ferrari, but just before we started recording, it was announced that there's going to be a new X Factor title coming soon, um, which will be interesting. You've got a Wolverine title coming in. You've got Hellions as another one. Cable. Do you, and cable, of course. Do you slightly worry there might be oversaturation, or I don't. I don't worry because you don't need to buy everything. Mm -hmm. You really don't. Um, I think they're doing a great job of tying tying things together. 
uh, and I think because you and I are both reading everything, mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're seeing the links. But I think if you were just reading, maybe with the exception of that first issue of X Force, uh, I think if you were if you were reading one or two, you would be getting what you needed. I, I think this is uh, it's a to- it's 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 Hickman's doing. I think I've said it before, but Hickman's doing with the books now what he probably read whenever he was reading X-Men and enjoying X-Men, sort of in the late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. And there was just a plethora of books all doing their own thing. Um, and, and they just, they get on great. And I think that's exactly what they're doing. I think we're seeing, you know, a flagship, uh, a flagship team returning to the place of importance where they should be mm-hmm. in Marvel. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's, that's what it was. You had, you know, three or four Spider-Man books. You had a, a whole bunch of X books. You know, at that time, Avengers actually was the one that was in uh, descendancy. I mean, Avengers really was not terribly popular at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it maybe had the one, the one book, the one core book. Um, so, no, I think I mean I'm I'm pretty happy to see it. Now, I have to say, um, it just I, so happens that the quality is is high, and I I'm getting them all. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to ask. Maybe you can't you can't really go into it, but is there many people in the store that get them all? Yeah, very much so. I mean, it's a lot of people started out with saying like, "Oh, just get me X Men," or "Just get me X Force," or "I'll start off with X Men and New Mutants, and we'll see how it go." And nearly all of them eventually just go, "Better put me down for Excalibur," and "Better put me down for this." I mean, most people who are reading X Men titles are reading them all. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple of people who are maybe reading three or four, uh, but I would say X Men is our number one pull. X Force is number two, and New Mutants would be number three. Um, if there's ones that people are maybe not pulling, it would be like some Marauders, uh, Excalibur, uh, Fallen Angels. But even then, they come in maybe a week later and go, "Oh, I heard something massive happened in New Mutants. Do, do you have any copies left?" Mm. So, I I do get the feeling, you know, Keith and I have talked about it many times. It's it's out of case though where you don't need to read them all, but you want to read them all because the depth is there and the links mm. are there. Uh, and but I mean they are all doing different things. Yeah, you know they're all yeah. doing different things with different sets of characters. Very much so. And they all have all of them have fantastic creator teams. They yeah. do. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. They do indeed. And of course, most importantly, they all have the master of ceremonies. Thinking of them, the head of X. The head of X, indeed, uh, Hickman. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, we'll we'll jump into a bit more depth then to the uh, for our picks of the week. Anyway, again, these are the picks from uh, the release week of eighth of January. Uh, Roddy, why don't you kick us off then? All right. Um, so, do you know the way we were saying there was loads of variety with indie titles? There was uh, loads of Dark Horse, IDW, Image, uh, <laughs> you know, Scout, Sourcepoint Press, Valiant, all that. It's a boom time. Yeah, it's a boom book. Um, boom had one incredible year last year, I think, with with their licenses as well as their indie books they just i think it was their year i think maybe they even obviously they they're not going to surpass image because they don't have they're not a as big a company yeah but certainly they don't put out quite as many titles yeah and obviously they just can't but certainly this or 2019 was the year with something is killing the children uh once in future and loads of other series folklords yeah (laughs) Their, their list is endless, but um, this one uh, began last year and it was a four-issue miniseries and January 8th, um, 
There Were Some Strange Skies Over East Berlin, and that's the book we're going to talk about. This is number four. All four. Four of four, yes. Um, this is by Jeff Loveness, Lissandro Esserin is the artist, Patricio Del Pesce is the colorist, and to complete it, Steve Wands is the letterer, and I think he plays a big, important part in this, so I wanted to give a shout-out to him. So... Um, we think we're not too sure at the moment, but the trade will be out very soon. We haven't seen anything. I believe the previous book is coming in. Soon. Yeah, we'll probably say in the next week or so. I mean, Boom look to be turning their titles around quickly enough for the trades because Once in Future One's on the horizon, Something's Killing the Children's on the horizon. So I would imagine it wouldn't be too far, too yeah. far away. But uh, to catch up to speed, so Strange Guys is about an American spy. Uh, so we're basically in the height of the Cold War in 1973, I think, in this book. Um, when, for those of us who were old enough to uh, to remember, at least have a grasp of history, <laughs> Germany yeah. was divided by the Berlin Wall, or at least the, you know Berlin was divided by the Berlin Wall. Yep, um, by the Iron Curtain. Uh, on one side, uh, East Germany, um, communist, yep. and on the other side, West Germany, which was, I guess, uh, American patrolled and... and democratic yeah. process yeah um yeah or as <laughs> it's quite funny in the book she uh uh is angela and hanzella uh she calls herring the main character an imperialist so maybe it was an imperialist state um but anyway that's quite the insult but <laughs> i don't know the americans revolt yeah <laughs> but yeah to catch up to speed so we follow herring who's an um, american spy and he's been you know, in the East for so long, he he doesn't really know what's who's an ally and who's an enemy. Um, he's a double agent, right? He is a double agent indeed. And at the start of the series, he's trying to smuggle someone out of the East into the West, the free West, obviously. And then it all goes sort of pear-shaped. And then that's when he sees something streak across the Berlin Wall, this strange sky that we've mentioned. Um so and it continues on from there we go into a lot of detail basically the thing in the sky is a monster and they capture the monster and he's brought down to an underground bunker in east east berlin and so it's herring and a couple of others including aforementioned and anzela and i really enjoyed this book because i I felt it had a lot to say and I don't want to delve into any more story stuff because obviously the point is I want people to buy this book and I want people to pick up on it. Um, but I really enjoyed it. It was something I don't think I've really ever read anything like this. I've seen films like it. I've seen, you know, like I think people mentioned it was quite uh, Andre Tarkovsky-esque, mm -hmm. Oh, there's there's like, a, a sniff of John Carpenter's thing about it as well. Yeah, like films like Stalker and Solaris and Mirror, certainly. Definitely a thing vibe going on there and certainly... Even randomly Casablanca, you yes, know, just yeah. the sort of the noir elements of an occupied <laughs> city, you yep. know, that sort of sort of thing. It's a beautiful book, um, just a really, really special book. And obviously, being the Cold War, I certainly noticed it's a book that is very... It's very heavy on themes and maybe to a fault with the narration. I think the narration is very on point. Um, it's narrated by Herring and sometimes other people. Um, that's something I noticed in the lettering in this issue, which I thought was really standout. 
um sort of herrings he has an inner excuse me inner monologue where he he talks about you know i don't know what that thing is he's talking about all the things he's done in life and where he's got to in this point and then won't try and spoil anything for you but the lettering changes towards the end when he's of a more sound mind shall we say i thought that was a really neat touch um but yeah being the cold war it's all about paranoia all about fear and you know the guilt and i really think the creators in this book jeff loveness we were talking this guy does rick and morty yeah (laughs) where where did this come from and uh lissandro esserin i'm not too familiar with his work but his stuff is utterly gorgeous the monster is fantastic he's like a spindly creepy ethereal creature yeah, you know yeah. and nearly like a like a slender manish yeah thing. like yeah definitely and there's he there's like a load of like really cool electric mad just it's a really great book like alan talked about the noir elements but they really mesh with the sci-fi elements there's loads of kind of reminded me of um arkham asylum a serious house on a serious earth i really enjoyed the there's kind of a lot of abstract elements in Mm -hmm. it too um big themes i mean i think it's kind of timely i don't know um we all watched uh chernobyl which was a fantastic Mm. series of uh last year and uh uh, some of us are reading Lois Lane, uh, Greg Rucka's Lois Lane, and uh, certainly both of those and this, uh, one of the big themes is truth. Yes. Uh, and uh, I think that's a really a really important theme in it whenever you're looking at the whole idea of, um, you know, the the Iron Curtain. So, that, I mean, it, it, so it comes from the same place as Chernobyl in a way. Yeah, oh, definitely, know, definitely. Um, and certainly in this issue, it ties into it because even in the previous issues the sort of crux of the story is the the monster plays with their minds almost and gets them to reveal their own truths yeah plays with them a little bit and the monster sort of draws out those memories and all Mm -hmm. that sort of stuff yeah you know who who are these people they're they're what they think of themselves what as you say what their truth is uh you know how how deeply buried in lies are they Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> to the point that they've lost themselves um and there's an element of i think there's an element of redemption in there as well isn't there yes oh yeah, definitely definitely towards the end we're not sure in the ending though we were talking about <laughs> it earlier we oh, can't can't say anything yeah no, probably best just uh, to leave already. it's an open end shall we say how about that yeah um, yep. but yeah it's for me there's not enough comics like this where maybe get to another historical one in our honorable mentions i know we um but this is a historical mixed with sci-fi um there's a lot of historical fiction as well but i loved historical sci-fi is brilliant what they did with this book is utterly fantastic because it made me when i was reading it sort of made me question like where i've come in my life and like what what truth do i have and where where i've all come from what choices have i made you know i really like that part of the book and yeah it was um sort of like a dream dreamlike book and he had an element of that in it as well didn't it? that dreamlike quality it was yeah my only thing it was it was slow and you know there was a lot of metaphysical aspects to very introspective so if you like if you like sort of stuff like that i thought um 
some of the dialogue was a bit on the no not the dialogue the um inner monologue was on the nose it was maybe a bit it was maybe a bit too existential like it repeated itself maybe a bit but apart from that it's utterly a gorgeous book and i can't recommend I it enough a really interesting thing to it is that you know i wouldn't have had any issues if this was a six issue mini mm-hmm. it achieves yeah. a lot in four issues and you wonder if maybe that's why some of the the descriptions maybe a bit on yeah, the nose or it's yeah. just wanting to shuffle forward a little bit but a, an awful lot happens over four issues in this yeah i um, thought um the third issue was particularly good but i think this was a really satisfying ending for me one one idea that i, I love the idea of and again it's not going too deep in the spoilers but I love, it doesn't fully explore it, but it posits the idea of, you know, if something otherworldly did come to our, to our earth, why is our natural compunction always to attack it? You know, maybe, you know, are they not here to teach us something or help us learn something or, and they sort of play around with that a wee bit towards the end, um, posing those sort of questions, which I really liked, you know, there was a little bit of an inner monologue that, one of the characters is saying, saying, you know, did a journey all this way just to be another predator, a monster in search of prey? Or was there something we missed? Was it trying to open us, experience it? Could it have been a gift? But the natural inclination in all these sort of stories is if it's from outside of our world, oh crap, we need to destroy it. You know, it's so it's an interesting sort of idea from that point of view as well. Well, you could say, um, not to get too deep into it, but certainly borders come into it, you know, <laughs> as human. <laughs> yep. If it's not from if it's from beyond our border you know attack it you know back in the olden days even has a watchman vibe to it in a way that if there's an outside uh an outside visitor shall we say that even people from different backgrounds will come together to you know (laughs) help each other through it shall we say but yeah can't recommend it enough um the covers are certainly beautiful so i'm looking forward to seeing what the the trade cover is yeah, I mean, issue four, I thought, had the best-looking cover of them all. Sorry, I should say, the cover artist is Evan Cagle. So I think he, I'm pretty sure he's done them all. Um, yeah, fantastic. Um, fantastic series. Can't um, can't say enough good things about it. Um, and I really loved the, the spacey design and the colors in it, too. Like, you don't really see those murky purples and like kind of fluorescent deep blues in comics much i really really enjoyed it excellent so yeah i mean i would i would agree i would say this is going to be the kind of title that once it hits trade it's one of those sort of titles that we try to keep in stock at all times you know because we would recommend it ourselves uh again there's no uh confirmed date for it yet but i would say look out for maybe late march early april you'll probably you'll see a trade of this come through so yeah, that's Strange Guys over East Berlin, uh, issue four, all four, uh, by Jeff Loveness, Lissandro Estheran, and Patricio Del Pesh. So, away from the boom titles and on to one of the big two. Uh, take it away, Keith. For me, that's, uh, and I'm really glad to see this back where it belongs uh, amongst the, the picks of the week um, and the, the, the picks of the best of, certainly in my opinion, stuff that's uh, coming out of Marvel. Uh, it was it was kind of a big Spider-Man or Spider-related week. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of cool Spider-related stuff, you know, Spider-Man-related stuff uh, coming out this week. But standout for me was Amazing Spider-Man number 37, um, written by Nick Spencer. Ryan Otley's back. 
on uh, on pencils for one issue by the look of it i don't know i'm Uh, not sure preview for 38 really gleason's in the car okay okay well we can give gleason a wee go but (laughs) certainly previews in march have uh have oddly on it uh cliff rathburn is uh is the inker um cliff rathburn i think he inked uh oddly quite a bit on invincible and um and also was the regular inker on walking dead I believe so, yeah. Uh, yeah, and Nathan Nathan Fairburn is the colorist, uh, always nice to see. So uh, Spider-Man for the last little while has been um, uh, has been in 2099, uh, the, the, that mm-hmm. 2099 story. But this, uh, with a new year, this felt like a wee bit of a return to form. And I, like Roddy, mentioned uh, on one of our chats that um, it nearly felt like, it wasn't until I read this that I thought, God, I'm... I'm glad the twenty ninety nine stuff's over. I know. I felt yeah. <laughs> I felt really bad, but it felt like relief almost. Um I was glad to see the back of it in a way, despite I enjoyed the main part of twenty ninety nine, but the I think the tie ins and all I think that the format sort of, stuff, of it didn't help yeah, it, yeah. It didn't really didn't really mesh and I I don't think it meshed with this this version of Spidey that we're gonna talk about, you know. Yeah, I mean that that that's what was really what really stood out to me uh, about this particular book. Um, Spider Man was kind of joyous, uh, kind of um, fairly light hearted and joyous in the in the use of his powers and the things he was doing, despite and uh, optimistic as well. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Despite still having the the Parker responsibility and the you know the Parker luck. Um, yeah, and I'm sure obviously you need those peaks and valleys in this like long format as well. You know. Yeah, I mean definitely, definitely. Um, but it it seems like a, a slightly lighter tone than than what maybe what some some stuff Spencer has done before. Um, I think Ryan Otley just does wonderful work on Spider Man. Um, he Invincible uh, was Mark was a was a a very lithe character as well, you know. So his art suits Spider Man and what he's used to, what he has been used to over the past few years, a lot of years. Sort of suits what Spider Man does, or how Spider Man looks. Yeah, I. This is like joyous is a great word. I love I love the webs under his under his armpits. Ah, uh, yeah, the, <laughs> the armpit webs are back. Um, so yeah, I mean that that's really nice. I mean, obviously, in with with Invincible, create our own book. Um, so, I mean, the 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 four color, uh, action packed. Uh, art that Ryan Otley is really good on was also um, counterpointed by moments of absolute extreme violence, um, which he did sometimes in a really comic-y, cartoony way, but it was always kind of shocking to see. Uh, mm-hmm. But obviously, he's a wee bit more confined with Spider-Man and what he's doing. But I think his I think his uh, his style really lends itself to really lends itself to the character. Um, so uh, yeah, the, the gist of the story is. Um, you know, it's it's about Spider-Man feeling that there's not enough hours in the day, you know, with his different responsibilities. Missing Mary Jane, you know, since she left for Hollywood and he didn't get a chance to see her. Uh, you know, he's back at Empire State University studying hard. He's helping Aunt May get the Feast Center back open. Now she's in recovery from cancer, I believe. And, uh, you know, he's still, get, he's still got responsibilities to his friends, you know. Uh, and so forth, as well, of course, as being Spider-Man, you know, whether that's uh, saving people from fires, whether it's fighting bank robbers wearing roller skates or people turned into dinosaurs by a Stegron virus. Um, 
you know, uh, you know, he's still got that sense of responsibility. People yelling at him, you know, for letting them down, you know, that sort of thing, or, or a voice in his head yelling at him to, to let him down, you know, le for letting people down. But um, this uh, part of the 2099 thing was the, the fact that a project that he's working on along with a college buddy is this thing called Clairvoyant, which uh, looks at, I guess what it does is it measures all these alternative worlds and the choices that are made in these alternative worlds. And by comparing those and running those through an algorithm of some kind can project the future, you know, project the future to to some sort of 95% probability, you know, what's the right choice. And Spider-Man used that a wee bit in the, in the 2099 uh, thing. Um, but yeah, overall, uh, lovely, lovely book. There's a great, uh, some great JJ moments, J. Jonah Jameson moments in it. Um, of course, JJ is he's evolved a little as a character, uh, just a little. Like don't don't be giving him too much credit. But he and Spider Man are now friends. Uh, he's now Spider Man's sometimes sidekick. Uh, he knows that Peter is. He knows he knows Peter is Spider Man, and he realizes all this time, you know, calling Spider Man a threat or a menace. You know, maybe he was he was wrong. So he's evolved a little bit. Uh, but he's also no longer the powerful publisher of the Daily Bugle. He's working for a, a radio station. You know and. Uh, is Stephen Nolan of uh, the Marvel Universe? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I hate to mention that man's <laughs> no, name at any point, but uh, I was only slagging. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, you see, he's kind of he's he's thrown off the mic by these two. You know, uh, I I think they're perfectly drawn. You know, these two shock jocks called Chet and Chet. You know, and they're clearly the they're clearly the fun time disc jockeys. You know, <laughs> they're uh, pair of pricks <laughs> you know, I sort of agree with Jonah on this um, but uh, Jonah is made an offer by uh, a returning character uh, Nora Winters wee bit of a wee bit of a slightly deep Spider-Man cut uh, not as deep as, as the cut at the end right enough of the issue but uh, Nora Winters was a Daily Bugle uh, journalist from a while back short for Frontline I think during during Civil War um, and uh, she uh she dated Randy Robertson, who was the publicist of the, 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 the co-publicist of the Daily Bugle at the time and is now the, the editor. Um, and she also dated Phil Rich, who turned out to be uh, the Hobgoblin. So she disappeared for a while and now she's back and making uh, Jonah an offer that uh, he can't refuse. Not sure quite what that offer is, but uh, she's got him convinced and, uh, you know, the, the newspaper man is in. Um what else have we got here? Yeah, we've got uh, some action shots of Spidey. He's trying to get some things done, and uh, we see the the roller skating villains. We see the fire. We see the the dinosaur infected uh, Stegron virus people, and we see him uh, saving the city from the army of Doombots during twenty ten twenty ninety nine. So he's got a lot going on, but he's really he's really using the uh, he's using the clairvoyant uh, the the device that he's created in order just to create himself a little more time to do these things to make the right decisions to do these things a little quicker just to just to, so we can have a few more hours in the day and there's a there's a slight a slight a panel that is a nod towards civil war 2 the core of which of course was uh the use of a an inhuman who could predict the future uh which caused all sorts of problems so there's a nice wee nod towards that and the potential problems there but it's it, it it is a nod rather than than focused on things got a little heated as he says yeah yeah that would yeah absolutely we'd probably just leave civil war two at that <laughs> um there was a great nine panel page that i think we all liked yeah. uh gave uh ryan otley uh a real chance to draw some some marvel characters that he probably hasn't had much of a chance to draw 
whenever Spider-Man asks the advice of Iron Man, Captain Marvel, Reed Richards, Black Cat, Daredevil, She-Hulk, Human Torch, Man-Thing, and Captain America. Uh, exactly, you know, what he should be doing with this this great <laughs> power that he has. Um, just love the fact that Man-Thing's in there. Doesn't yeah. say a word. Doesn't say a word, just, just stares. <laughs> I also you know. liked uh, Johnny's little... Uh, Imagine the pranks, Ben will never see him coming. <laughs> yeah. They're all great character we character moments, but yeah, I mean the crux of it is that Spider Man uses the, the the device to uh to solve his problems uh very quickly, uh, in order that he can back get, get back uh to to his uh his home place. So him and uh him and MJ can uh can sit and watch Janet Van Dyne's extreme super villain makeover. Um <laughs> you know, uh, Mary Jane's currently doing her own thing in the movies and the amazing Mary Jane, isn't that right? Isn't that a book I've picked up? Yep. So That's uh three issues in so far, I believe. So they're they're communicating uh via, you know, video message. They're watching this thing together. Peter's bought her flowers on the way, he's bought junk food, she's got junk food, you know. And uh, this I I really loved this. I thought this was kinda nice. Um, sort of resonated with me a wee bit given that, that uh my relationship's a little like that sometimes, uh, <laughs> you know, because Bruno and I sort of live in, in different cities, uh, so it kind of resonated. Um, and he was doing so well until he absolutely fell asleep, exhausted from all the things he's done during the day. Um, and that's whenever we hit the the final act of this book, which was uh, we're returning to the the. I guess it feels like we've taken a little break from this story with twenty ninety nine, but we're returning uh, to. Uh, the individual who is known as the Kindred, this uh, individual who's sort of, I guess, wrapped in bandages and has this weird millipede creature and is uh, seems to be the big bad behind a lot of the things that are that are going on at the minute. Um, but he's just uh, he's just planning. He's, he's, all the pieces are falling into place, and uh, you know he's 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 given hints here about who this character might be. I still I'm not sure who this who this character is. It's clearly someone from Spider-Man's past. Um, yeah, so it's... But this is, is clearly the next the next big bad. And uh, and yeah, he, uh, he summons a character... He summons a character from Spider-Man's past. Um, and again, this is a really deep cut. Um, he summons the Sin Eater, who was a, a villain uh, during... Um, guess it was the a fairly well classic spider-man story uh was it 70s was it late 70s or early 80s um the death of uh gene de wolf gene de wolf was a was a police captain um this guy the sin eater was a, a police detective uh, who ended up being a bit of a serial killer um so uh nick spencer's done his research and is is, is sort of showing his chops here but uh no idea where this is going um but yeah that's um for me that's what i really like about this book and my reading of it is so different to what yours probably is because you like when i read the book my phone is kind of i usually don't read with my phone but my phone is at hand to be like okay uh, who's this who is this and it helps it helps like uh you learn about marvel history that i'm not super familiar with yeah yeah for someone like you it's like wink wink nudge nudge you know, yeah check yeah this out. it's kind of like a little i suppose easter egg yeah it is it is and i think i mean i think what what spencer has done really with with spider-man is he has like a like i referred to earlier on with hickman uh where he's nearly 
I mean, he's done something completely new with the X-Men, but what he's done is he's reset it to a place where we can have all these separate X-Men books like like we had in the 80s and 90s. But I think what Hickman, or what Spencer has done here on, on Amazing Spider-Man is he's more or less reset Spider-Man back mm-hmm. to where he was probably at the time that Nick Spencer was reading Spider-Man where, you know, he was he was at Empire State University. He, you know, was juggling his life. Uh, he was single but dating Mary Jane. You know what I mean? So... So I think he's, you know, I think he did that. He did that last year at, with issue twenty five. more, I I read that issue and I thought he has reset Spider Man to the Spider Man that he knows and loves. And fortunately, it's also the Spider Man I know and love. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm good with it. How Man convenient. after own heart. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's the uh, that's my pick of uh, pick of the the eighth of January. And uh, I know your pick, Alan, is uh, is something a little spider related as well. It is. I mean, it's. I suppose for this one, this is more spinning out of the events of <laughs> Absolute Carnage. Uh, Absolute Carnage was something that I I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed. I came into it quite green. To be honest, uh, Venom, I'd been reading the first few issues of it, and then, as unfortunately as sometimes my way, I gave up my issues for a customer looking to get into it, and then I stepped away a bit. But Absolute Carnage brought me back into Venom and the work of Donny Cates in a big, bad way, uh, so much so that I have a massive lot of Venom arriving from the States, just so that I can get my issues 1 to 20 back, uh, just to make sure I've got a full collection. So... Uh, this was the first title. Uh, there's there's an upcoming series called Ravencroft, and the way it was announced, I sort of thought these were going to be one shots to accompany it. I didn't think it was going to be a prelude to it. In in that way, I thought like the main title Ravencroft would come out first. But the first taste we got of anything was this one, which is my pick of the week, which is Ruins of Ravencroft. It's maybe worth mentioning uh, for those maybe a wee bit um, less familiar with. Uh with Marvel backstory that Ravencroft uh, like is me. yeah like your good self Ronnie uh, Ravencroft is the it's Marvel's Arkham Asylum it's, it's, it's kind of Marvel's <laughs> Arkham Asylum it's uh, it is the, the an asylum for the criminally insane um, and has been variously part of Marvel Universe for a fair while mostly within the spider books actually yeah and it was um, very heavily utilized in the first issue of absolute carnage there was a massive uh, yes, action set right, piece yeah. it was yeah. and then throughout uh, lethal protectors which was frank terry's book yeah and uh carnage had basically mm. managed to get john jameson to do what he wanted and you know to give him access to the different corridors so of Nor- norman so osborne was really what he was looking for wasn't it it was indeed yeah and uh, absolute carnage essentially ended with you know ravencroft destroyed um so the idea behind this is that in the ruins of Ravencroft, they're going to rebuild, which I'm guessing is where the, the main series will most likely start. I would imagine. Uh, but this is Ruins of Ravencroft, uh, Carnage number one. There's going to be three one-shots. There is, and they're three quite distinct one-shots. Well, I say one-shots, I think they're all linked. Carnage is the first one. Uh, you've got Sabretooth coming out this week. And then next week you've got Dracula, which is a odd turn for it to take hmm. but uh yeah as keith said this is uh written by frank thierry uh there's two artists on this book which normally for me would be a problem but they utilize it here in a really clever way and it even lets you know from the start so on the first page it has you know ruins of ravencroft after the events of absolute carnage the ravencroft institute for the criminally insane has been decimated now is the time to reflect and rebuild frank thierry writer angel Unzueta as the artist on modern day 
and Gui Villanova as the artist for flashbacks uh, with Rochelle Rosenberg as colorist and Travis Lanham on letters. So would you say it's similar to uh, Invaders? It had our boys, Bitch Guys, and can't remember the other guy's name. Very much so. It's uh, instead of just having you know two artists where one takes over another halfway through it they've actually thought it through and been like well we can have two distinct visual styles here because one mm-hmm. is in the past and one is in the present uh so the issue kicks off as i say the ruins of ravencroft are there uh with a massive truck just pouring through the gates uh it was an interesting sort of team that they pulled together at the start you've got misty knight and john jameson surveying the wreckage and then this book had my attention very quickly because wilson fisk turns up uh wilson fisk who as we know is now mayor fisk trying to legitimize himself uh i would be curious to know where this takes place in relation to daredevil given his slightly weakened position there shall we say at the moment i.e in a hospital bed uh but yeah fisk is here to basically survey the the rebuild and uh it's i guess it's worth mentioning that uh John Jameson and Misty Knight have a, a previous relationship uh, in, and in Frank Terry's Lethal Protectors. John, who was a, an administrator, guard in, in Ravencroft uh, when it was invaded by Carnage. Um, John was, was possessed effectively by, by Carnage and turned to his man-wolf form, mm-hmm. or his werewolf by night form, rather. Um, and uh, Misty's life was very much put in danger and sort of Werewolf by Night haunted her through the tunnels of Ravencroft and she was saved by uh, Iron Fist and a bunch of other heroes. Um, so, so, they these finally, two, so they finally turned up in that book then? They did finally turn up in that <laughs> book, but that's that's the visions that, uh, that John's having. Obviously, he still feels a lot of guilt and trauma over this and uh, I think they're still having a few uh, maybe relationship issues regarding... Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting because I really like the format of this book with the present day stuff and the past. It's got real sort of horror elements. It's got that real, you know, oh, we found something, oh, flashback. And then, you know, it sort of sets up a lot of those horror staples. But it's kind of bookended by the, uh, whenever they're uh, destroying Ravencroft, they uncover, I guess, a, a book. Yeah. And whenever they uncover that, that book ends and then we go into to New York in the early in the early 1400s so we don't shift geographically we shift Time. temporarily yeah very much so and it's it it's almost just a, a a retelling i suppose of the old classic you know things being built on an ancient indian burial ground almost uh it does play with a lot of horror conventions but what was really cool about this book is it goes into the deep deep history of the cassidy clan and where this evil began so to speak obviously cletus cassidy in modern day being carnage but this goes right back to uh, what is his name again? Um, Cortland. So it goes back to uh, a married couple, Cortland and Molly, uh, who have journeyed to the New World and they've settled down. At the but, founding of New York, whenever it was renamed by the English. Uh, yeah. From New Amsterdam. From New Amsterdam. But what it's established at this point is that there's this this land that exists that no man should go near. Uh, that. Uh, there's a tribe of cannibals who inhabit it. And they have done their best to leave out warnings to people saying, do not cross towards this land, stay away from it, essentially cursed land, that kind of thing. But there's one day that Molly is out sort of picking fruit and she walks past the warning by mistake and she ends up, uh, 
it says, or how she was about to make the greatest mistake of her life. So she goes missing. So Cortland uh, jumps on a horse, begs everybody to help him. Uh, everyone says no, and he essentially says, but worry not, you spineless bastards, I'll find her myself. So he goes into this cursed land and sees some pretty horrific stuff. And I have to be honest, this is another th reason I really enjoyed this book, because it took a complete 180 here. I thought that Molly was going to be sort of the mm, evil yeah, one, yeah, yeah. so to speak, because she had survived, even though they did this little visual where her basket had been dropped and she had made this terrible mistake and wandered into these horrible lands. She ends up saving Cortland um, from a guy who's wearing like stitched skin on him and has the uh, the sort of carnage symbol emblazoned on his chest. Um, but instead of just making a run for it and they've saved each other, Cortland decides, you know what? I'm actually going to uh, go and take care of these people who essentially have cursed this land, you know. Too many people have ran away, you know, too many people have lived in fear. I'm going to do something about it. And yeah, it sort of goes from there. He starts finding all these dark cave paintings, all this history in this land and all this kind of stuff. Uh, essentially stands up to all these cannibals. But what's interesting is he, his wife doesn't see what happens. And she just want, and he wanders out of the cave, you know, covered in blood, but in seemingly in a trance. You know, and she's like, what happened there? What happened? And he's just not answering her one bit. But, I mean, I think it's the thing specifically that he sees in the cave and he witnesses in the cave that that uh, are what connects this book to Absolute Carnage oh, yeah. and, and Ravencroft because the guy that attacks him that's wearing the human skins, you know, has the, that, that, the symbol that Carnage, the Absolute Carnage, Carnage, yeah. uh, Demon Carnage has on his, on his chest. But... Uh, in addition to that, there's this constant reference to the swir the swirl, the spiral. Yeah. You know, that all of the, 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 the carnage um, doppelgangers had in their eyes. And that's and in that after he wanders out of the cave, and, uh, yeah, he has those swirls there. But then more importantly, even on the cave wall, we see a, a pictograph of uh, of uh, an individual who we've become familiar with over familiar the past year or so. character recently. Um, and yeah, that's that white hair. The pointy teeth. And uh, that symbol in his chest, so uh, a very, very obvious representation of uh, Noel, the god of the symbiotes. Yeah. And even, you know, Cortland says it, you know, they're standing around him like like he's a god. Mm -hmm. And it even comes into that sort of imagery of God is coming and all this kind of stuff. You know, it's the only thing that Cortland's able to mumble as he goes back into the village and essentially goes on a murder spree. He just keeps saying, God is coming, God is coming, and... This is something that links very heavily to the choice that Eddie made at the end of Absolute Carnage, which was to save his son, but it meant, you know, you've essentially unleashed Null on your world. So what I what I like is Marvel are doing a really good job of building up the, the scale of who Null is. Obviously, Roddy, you read Silver Surfer Black, you got mm -hmm. a bit of a sense of him, but... You know, it's like it's starting to drip feed into loads of other books. It's like he's coming, and at some point, there's going to be a massive event this year where he arrives. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just I thought this was really class, dark stuff. Uh, really interesting look at sort of the the sort of birth of the evil of the Cassidy clan, so to speak. Uh, and and the birth of Ravencroft. I think that's what it's about. So yeah, towards the end of the book, we see that uh, that Cortland Cassidy, although he was gone down, he didn't die. And that eight people in the in the village died that day, but Cortland wasn't one of them. Instead, they they built a little uh, a little hut, a little cell in the middle of that cursed land that the uh, the Indians had occupied. He's uh, the first inmate. What would become 
the country's first facility for the criminally insane. And Cortland Cassidy, as you say, was the first mass murderer in the new world and was the first inmate of what would become the new Ravencroft. Lads, this book sounds awesome. <laughs> it's class. Where can I get one? <laughs> <laughs> I picked this up today after yeah. he convinced me. Well, that's it. That um, sort of said this was going to be my pick, and you know, Keith picked it up today. Look, and, I'm just looking at it, it looks yeah. gorgeous. But like the, horror. I guess the other thing is that Molly, where Molly's surname is revealed, and whereas Cortland is Cortland Cassidy, Molly is Molly Ravencroft. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as you say, the art style really suits that Victorian sort of horror mm. sort of period almost. Uh, and then it it cuts back to sort of the more uh, recent, uh, to the present day and the ruins of it and so forth. And even just this horror staple of finding like a cursed book almost, you know, they find this, the journal of Jonas Ravencroft. I like how they say it was just lying there fully intact, like it was just waiting to be found. Uh, and then at this point, you get another uh, character jumping in who you maybe didn't expect to read. Richard shows yep. up, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's there too he says you know after my own experiences with institutions such as this i wanted to view ravencroft's uh, ravencroft's rebuild firsthand to make sure it was being rebuilt right uh and then the book essentially ends with them going down even further underground and they find in pure resident evil is what i thought of at this point it's like my god it's an entire other facility. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, what sort of started out is what we thought were going to be one shots. Um, it says at the end, you know, to be continued in Ruins of Ravencroft. Uh, Sabretooth. Sabretooth. Wow. Yeah, so. so, yeah, man, brilliant, brilliant book. And again, it was absolute carnage that really got me into this stuff in a big bad way. I, I mean, have to I, say. I think I really, really enjoyed it. I had one question uh, that I posited to you earlier is that, mm. you know, by by the end of the the end of the story in the past uh you know molly can't stay away from molly can't stay away from Cortland, despite the fact he's he's a killer and he's he's been mad you know and he's been imprisoned in this cage and eventually he escapes killing her and leaving her in the cage and he goes off to live with the cannibals uh the who you're i guess the tribe of null if that's what you want to call them so but where at what point does somebody procreate in order that there can be a lineage that leads to Cletus Cassidy? We haven't seen that yet. Yeah, see, I mean, you know? my, my sort of suggestion was that, you know, with this tribe of cannibals being pure evil, it would be evil plus evil equals more evil. You know, so it's uh, you would have to think something happens within that tribe because otherwise, as you say, they would have either needed to leave uh, Molly alive or she would have had to be heavily pregnant when she died, but they were able to... Yeah, yeah, or given birth at some point earlier. Save the child, yeah. Um, but I, I thought what was really cool here was the fact that... So we have Cletus Cassidy's earliest uh, ancestor in the New World, and uh, you know he goes into this cave and finds this tribe of Null and sees these pictures on the wall... You know the pictures of the, the the symbiote god. You know, so his first ancestor had contact with Null, yeah, and that lead that that made made Cletus what he is and led to Null in the present day. That I thought that was just yeah. that was lovely bit of retconning, like yeah. I mean, it's it makes not just Null god is coming, but a very very old god yeah, is coming as been, well. He's been involved with the Cassidy clan since yeah. the fourteen hundreds. And, wow. and and who knows when those cave paintings were done as well yeah. so you know you're going back even earlier again so it's it's all it becomes even more and more an ancient evil you know that's obviously going to be unleashed at some point into the modern sort of marvel universe so yeah again this this book 
you know, we've talked about it before about expectations, and with this, I had zero. I it came out of nowhere. Just read yeah. it and thought this is quality. My um, my intention certainly had been to grab the, the Ravencroft series and not worry about this, but uh, having read the first first issue, I'm really interested. Is uh, Frank Terry on the mall? Yeah. The funny part was after he finished reading it, he just turned around and went, "Oh, bugger." I'm going to have to get the other two. <laughs> so you know something's good when it convinces you you need the rest of it. So uh, yeah, so that was my pick of this week, which was Ruins of Ravencroft Carnage. Three decent picks, gents. Yeah, I think fantastic. so. And some quite different ones as well. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's certainly something to be said. The atmosphere that's generated in Ruins of Ravencroft in the past is maybe, you know, comparable with the atmosphere that drips off the page of Strange Skies. And similar to, they all, had, they all were very distinct. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man, you had your... It was back to being... Four-color heroics. Yeah, definitely. In Strange Skies was your thriller, sci-fi tone, and then Ravencroft, by the looks of it, that was your kind of like Resident Evil horror Horry style type thing, yeah. Wow. I think that sort of 1400, 1500, uh, you know, American settler thing is kind of haunting me at the minute. Yeah. Uh, movies that I watch. and watch The Witch? That's exactly what I was talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I read a couple of reviews of Ravencroft, and one of them actually did mention the witch. That's oh, what wow. it would sort of yeah, it was definitely put your mind off. Complete side note, though, do you want to see the lighthouse? So that could be a group uh, cinema trip. Very much so. Nice, I, I nice. like to see the lighthouse as well. If only because when any actor gets cast as Batman, I immediately start watching all their movies. <laughs> and who's in it? Uh, Robert Pattinson and William Defoe. I am not going back to watch any of those Twilight movies. <laughs> no, no, they're recent output, not okay, their... Right, no, okay, all right, okay, spot on. He's in some good stuff. Uh, what did I watch him in recently? Um, the Lost City of Z? Mm-hmm. Z. Oh, brilliant, um, yep. Fantastic. Uh, he's based he's on like... Uh, be, like based be, on David Graham's book, yep. uh, The Lost City Percy, of Z. Which Percy Fawcett? Percy Fawcett. Yeah. I, I read that book cover to cover a couple of times and read a lot of some some... That whole lot. He was a real life Indiana Jones, like. Yeah. Uh, but that whole Lost City of Zed stuff. Did well, you watch the movie? I watched the movie long after I'd read the book. Um, he was. Uh, I've got another one exploring Fawcett that I've got to read. Oh really? But, uh, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got it on my Kindle. I haven't just quite got round to. Now I've finished my my pull list uh, for a couple of days. I might. <laughs> You've uh, got a break. <laughs> well, I've still got that big massive Masters of the Universe tome to finish. <laughs> You've also got Punisher Kill Crew, which if you don't read any time soon, Vicky's going to go through. Punisher Kill Crew, um, <laughs> and I've got that other the TKO, TKO one, don't you? one, yeah, that Sentinel, yeah. Yeah, oh, that's great, Sentient, that is fantastic. Sentient, sorry, yep. Uh, yeah, so those were sort of the cream of the crop for us anyway, those were our picks of the week. Uh, Honourable mentions. We did mention at the start this was a very strong week regardless. Uh, we'll break it down into sort of the companies, I suppose. Uh, as I was saying before, DC was a slightly quieter week, but there were still a couple of uh, great titles in there. Unsurprisingly, the one that had my uh, biggest interest of the week was Batman 86, which of course has James Tinney in the fourth, or as I learned through Twitter, his name is James Tynon. There was this little thread going around of tell us five things people don't know about you, and his number one was, it's not pronounced Tinney, and it's pronounced phonetically Tynon. Uh, I'd also had Tony Daniel on art and I have to say I really enjoyed the first issue I well I say first issue it was number 86 but the first issue for a new creative team new Any, creative team New York anybody who has listened to even five minutes of this podcast will know of my love for the Tom Keane Batman run so you know this there was a wee bit of bittersweetness to this you know when we first opened the store Batman was on number nine 
So there's never not been a new Tom Keen Batman title every two weeks until now. So it's a bit heartbreaking, but uh, what I gathered from this issue, I read it cover to cover twice. I think it's in safe hands. Uh, the art I thought was fantastic. I thought that there was a couple of interesting characters introduced. I particularly like this character, Cheshire, uh, one of the uh, assassins who was able to use uh, a sting from a single specimen of a, uh, a jellyfish to completely kill a doorman just because he asked her for a password. Uh, you get a lot of... Just because, really. It literally was that. And she even says, uh, you should feel honoured that death by my hands is usually much more expensive. Uh, so I thought she was a really great character. I liked the way they utilised Selena Kyle uh, doing sort of recon at one of these Wayne Foundation parties now that her and Bruce are you know, officially together. There is a lot of Batman brooding stuff in the rain. Obviously, he's still getting over the death of Alfred. Uh, this looks fantastic. Tony Daniels' art is brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I'll just turn it around just so you can see one double page spread, Roddy. But, you know, the, the art is pretty spectacular, I have to say. That is nice. The the, the <laughs> colours the colors are, are, are lovely as well, you know, especially in that double page spread. Um, yeah, it's Tamu Moray, who uh, worked a lot with Clay, actually, on the two issues he did for uh, Batman 78-79. So, I mean, I guess the, the gist of it is that... Uh, Listening to something that Alfred has told him again and again and again, Bruce is turning his fortune to rebuilding Gotham City for everyone. Yeah. Um, and to, to build a new city. And there's, there's very much in the background of that lovely double price spread, there's a lot of construction going on. Or at least that's the, the sense you're getting. Uh, Selena is... I mean, he's uh, even perched on a crane. He is, yeah. Uh, Selena is schmoozing with some of the... Uh, the noble rich of Gotham trying to get their money out of them and uh, there are a group of assassins assembling in Gotham City for a reason and that's something that has Batman a little worried and the reason for that is that uh, he knows that uh, what do you call him? Death death thing, Deathstroke uh, is amongst them um, but there's a couple other things going on here as well um, Lucius Fox has replaced Alfred as uh, as Batman's man Man, man, on the, man, man on the, the other man end the of the chair, radio. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's got a little more technical expertise, I think, than Alfred does, being as he, how he is, Lucius Fox. Yeah. Um, I got the impression that that Bruce is very much not over, as you said, Alfred's Alfred's death. Oh, not at all. And even at one point, he even says, Alfred, you know, send yeah, the priority yeah, signal yeah, to yeah. the GCPD. Uh, and more than that, I think he is... Uh, self-destructive over the heads of it yeah i think he's uh very very angry and very self-destructive um which i think comes out in uh the battle with deathstroke a wee bit um you know just that uh doesn't batman yeah he says i know now shut the fuck up and fight me yeah you know which isn't it's not it's not Batman. No, he's much more stealthy, much more prepared, rather yep. than just a straight-up sort of brawl fest. Uh, there's some interesting stuff going on with Catwoman as well. Uh, she follows this guy down who's trying to, you know, replace the plans that Bruce has uh, for the city with someone else's plans, and straight away his skin starts bubbling and blood comes out of his eyes, and then this voice comes through sort of saying, oh, there's the cat I know, um, don't pretend you don't remember me, it always started with five killers, that's what you called it. So there's obviously something going on with Catwoman's past as well. Um, <clears throat> she obviously knows something that she's not telling Bruce. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how 
enamored I am with this current, uh, you know, the fact that Catwoman is, you know, kind of a sidekick. Yeah. You know, rather than a, than a sometime villain. Well, I liked um, how it was utilized in this simply because obviously anytime Robin is, you know, the sidekick, they're always going into battle together. Yeah. I yeah. liked that it was utilized in a different way here where, you know, Selena in a low cut dress, stunning as she looks, is able to schmooze and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So I liked that they utilized her in a different way rather than just, you know, the bat and the cat out because, you know, we've hopefully got that Batman Catwoman series coming Ooh. soon, uh, which can explore that side of it. There's so. a... There's a mention of the owls in here. Yeah. Uh, so there is. So it would be never a bad thing. Know, never a bad thing. And given that, uh, you know, uh, Tynion, 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 Tynion Fourth, is uh, of the school of Snyder. Yeah. Um, you know, he doesn't overwrite quite as badly, but, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Come on, he has given to it. He has given to it. Wow. Uh, I think every writer has given to it at some point. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. We might see the reappearance of, of the Court of Owls. Yeah, I'm sure he's picked Scott's brain a little bit. Um, and obviously, I asked advice and so forth. So, wouldn't surprise me too much. But, yeah, so it wasn't quite, you know, pick of the week for me. It wasn't far off it. It was still a very, very solid start to the title. Uh, I just don't think I'm over the whole it not being Tom Keane thing. I yet. think I am... Um, <laughs> Ready to come out from under the weight of those eighty-five issues and uh, and and see something, see something fresh yeah. with Batman. No, that's um, fair. Uh, not that I, not that I, I didn't really enjoy the really enjoy that that fantastic fantastic run, but I think uh, I think now it's finished. I'm I'm happy just to yeah. to, to to dust off and and try something, see something new with Batman. And um, Tenyon was. Detective Comics for a while Detective as well. Detective Comics, he relaunched yeah. Detective Comics it with did. Rebirth. It was much more of a team book. Though. It was, and I, I was on it then. I really enjoyed it then. So, um, so yeah, looking forward to this. Yeah. As I say, very, very safe pair of hands. I know Tony Daniel's going to be on art until 89, and then George Jimenez is coming on. So excited to see where that goes. So I think that's when it 89 is going to be your true test. That's when he gets the... This, these issues are wrapping everything up, mm-hmm. kind of transitioning yeah transition's a good to... word there's there's elements of the king run in there but obviously you want to stamp your own authority on it yeah you know there were a couple of you know familiar beats which is maybe one of the reasons i didn't pardon me i wasn't as enamored with it as i could have been you know the whole mm-hmm. rebuilding gotham thing that's very schneider court of isles but again they do reference that there's a little two-page scene at the end with henchmen who i think belong to the joker doing a job where it's like they're down to the last two and one of them shoots one of them in the back and then says over the radio, oh, I just took care of everyone who knows about the job. And then over the radio, it's like, oh, everyone. And then the van explodes. Very dark nightish. Uh, so there were a few familiar beats in there. But then again, you you can't stamp your authority, I think, on a title straight away after mm-hmm. that long run. you got to mm-hmm. ease into it, as you say, transition and then, you know set it up in a way you want to do it so uh but yeah stellar uh it was still very very good stuff so uh yeah that was batman 86 i know there's another dc title you quite enjoyed roddy yeah um stand back keith black label yeah. <laughs> black, you know what it's, it's a it's a black regular label, normal size yeah. it's a regular size black label come, come back quick um yeah this one uh one of the uh this is joe hill's hill house comics and this one intrigued me straight away because of the cover and only recently i found out the cover artist is called 
Peter Jablowski, who's a Polish artist. And if you look up his work on the internet, it's utterly fantastic. It's like a concept artist. But this this one intrigued me. I've had so Hill House, we've had Lolo Woods, we've yeah, had Basketful Heads and the Dollhouse family. Dollhouse so far. So this one I haven't Number got four. them all, but this one intrigued me just because of the concept sound really just sounded really interesting. I'm liking their their style. I love how they're all tied together and they obviously have the uh the sea dogs at the end, so if you do collect them all you get this bonus story but this one is starts off this is the gaslit splendor of the late 19th century new york this rage builds inside the 14 year old daphne byrne of the title uh her mother has died recently or no sorry her father died recently and she's left alone with her mother who's you know stricken with grief bedridden but she um soon falls foul of a group of occultists and if you look at the cover you'll see one of the occultists and it's unbelievable um so daphne sort of struggles to sort of untangle her mother from this this sort of web of the the occultist and then she begins to sense a strange insidious presence in her own body which is quite interesting um this is called brother um really interesting book um there's a lot of some there's a bit of body horror there's a bit of like ghost story there's a bit of everything really and yeah this is it's written by laura marks who's done a lot of great tv ray donovan the expanse and the good fight and then kelly jones is the artist who's done sandman and title called batman red rain so yeah and this is just just another nice sort of entry into this joe hill sort of hill house imprint i'm liking what they're doing but i think similar to what you guys said in x-men you can you don't have to read them all the completists in people will pick them all up but for me i just I think sort there's of, a there's a few of those uh in completist type people in, no. uh, in comic collecting no never <laughs> not me though guilty <laughs> i just i just went for whatever sounds good whatever sounds like a cool story i'll pick up uh within you know budget yeah <laughs> budget willing um so this was, yeah i really enjoyed it um what did you think alan i mean i had spoken to you a little bit just before we started about kelly jones is not someone i'm a huge fan of uh, mm-hmm. i think he's very good at monster type work he's done swamp thing things like that but then you made a really good point i mean kelly jones was very much a a massive artist for DC sort of in the 90s and even in the 80s and so forth and you know you're saying that it has that old 70s horror old school vibe so maybe it works I don't know I just Daphne to me if you I didn't know she was 14 until you just told me and like mm-hmm. the, the character through it simultaneously looks 12 <laughs> and 30 <laughs> and 16 and 60 you know yeah. it's it's just it's an odd style but again i suppose maybe that's kind of the point it's a little unsettling no i can i completely understand when i was like when i was reading through it i was like this uh, something a bit iffy with it but i do like the way they are completely they feel like books from the Another 70s almost, yeah. and i think that i assume that's kind of what joe hill is going for but yeah just a i'm liking what he's doing with hill house um just some something different for black label really yeah no that's i mean what i would say is the hill house uh stuff i do like that they're very different 
Mm-hmm. I mean, the basketball heads I've said it before is sort of like slapstick horror. You've got um, Dollhouse Family, which is your traditional creepy kids stuff. You know, you know talking dolls and all that kind of stuff. Then you had uh, Lola Woods, which is very sci-fi, highbrow horror. Oh, right. Um, okay. if, if you like your horror stuff, it's it's the most... It's the one that seems to step outside the the sort of classic horror realm the most, sort of sci-fi horror, as I say, but set in modern day. Mm-hmm. And then Daphne Byrne, yeah, you've got sort of the ghost story and the, the you know, gothic haunting kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, uh, yeah, I dug it. I mean, I'm you know one of those completists that you spoke of. So I, <laughs> even though I don't read the <laughs> do, Sea Dogs do, chapters, do you know, but I, I collect all of them. I think I am the minority in this one. Yeah. Yeah. I would say you might be right. <laughs> Well, no, even in this in this scenario, I mean, you are one of the few people who, if they're on a Hill House title, aren't collecting the rest because I think similar to the X-Men stuff, people who read it are like, this is really good. Oh, is, oh there's another title? Oh, I'll give that a go as well. And it's only a couple of issues in, so we'll see how it goes. I mean, yeah, most Basket of, Full most and... Are number one. Yeah, Basket yeah. Full and uh, Dollhouse are three, but Daphne Burns one and Lola Woods is one. So, so presumably there's a couple more to go? There's another one called Plunge, which is set at sea, I think. Uh, and then I think they said there's going to be a sixth one, but I'm not sure what that is off, uh, off the top of the head. So, yeah. Uh, to be honest, that's pretty much it from DC. As I say, it was a, a quieter week. Uh, Keith, you got anything from uh, DC? I had uh, I had Batman eighty six. Uh, I had uh, fourteen titles in my pull list this week. Batman eighty six was my only DC title. Um, not because not because I don't have DC titles in my pull list, just because, as you said already, there weren't too many out this week. Yeah. Uh, there were a few last week, Flash and a few other bits and pieces, but. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just uh, just He's funny timing more than anything, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, uh, I, I think part of it goes to. I mean, there was a lot of good Marvel stuff this week as well. Um, the ones that certainly stood out the most for me again, obviously, I mentioned Ruins of Ravencroft and Absolute Carnage and Digging Venom and so forth. I thought Venom Twenty Two was very strong. Venom uh, Twenty Two was massively strong. Part Two of uh, Venom Island. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoy this. I love Mark Bagley. Yeah. Mark Bagley's art is fantastic. Do you fantastic. know what this, this issue basically was to me? It was Mark Bagley drawing Predator. Yep, there was a, there was definitely there was definitely more than a sniff of Predator <laughs> about this issue. Uh, you know you know the third act of Predator where it's my just eyebrow raised? You know it's just Arnie and the Predator? Uh-huh. That's what this whole issue is. <laughs> Almost. Um, yeah. Aside from the odd cutaway to Eddie's son to fill in maybe uh, some. The, I mean, the, the just, just of it being that Eddie is now on this island that he and his uh, his other uh, occupied many many years ago. Whenever whenever Peter tricked him into thinking that he and Spider Man were dead, and uh, and they they lived on this island for some time until Spidey had to go and get Venom to join his his side against Carnage in the original Maximum Carnage crossover. Uh, so this so is another throwback. This is another pretty pretty deep cut by Donny <laughs> yeah, Cates. Yeah, cut. it's really really good stuff. But uh, at that time, Eddie and the and the symbiote set up the island. They lived there for some time, and they set up the island the way they wanted it, and put put defenses in place, which Eddie is now uh, as a as a result of 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 absolute carnage. Eddie absorbed the Grendel, which was the the suit that that Carnage was wearing. Um, the symbiote that Carnage was wearing, and that the Grendel, which had been the, had been the symbiote dragon. It's a long story. <laughs> Read Venom. <laughs> okay. But uh, 
in doing so, the, the the Grendel still had had Carnage's personality imprinted on it. Um, so he absorbed the Grendel into his symbiote, into his other, and so he now has this costume. He hadn't realized it until the last issue, whenever he was talking to the Avengers, and they were kind of asking him to join. And then he started hearing the Grendel's monstrous voice and Cletus Cassidy's voice in his head, you know. And that, so there, his his other has melded with these this other symbiote, and he now has to figure out how to get his other separated separated you know um so uh so yeah so and it's kind of so it's, it, as alan says it's very much a it's very much a you know there's a great scene you know with eddie painting painting war paint on his face and putting on his combat boots and his combat knife and his flamethrower and his, it's totally rambo like um you know rambo there's a I mean, it even almost has a predator vision part in it as it well. It does, yeah, yeah. You know, it a, it's uh, whenever you see the symbiote, uh, the symbiote <laughs> hunting the pig. But uh, in addition to that, it also uh, it also has a, a Liam Neeson taken like speech. Did you notice? Yeah, let's talk. If you don't believe that I'll kill every living thing on this island to get to get to you, you must not know me as well as you think you do. <laughs> so I'll make you a deal. Release my other. Give me back my friend, and you can have this place. <laughs> no one will ever bother you no one will ever know you're here you'll be free I'll see to it and if not then we, we all burn, burn together. together you know so uh, yeah some great some great stuff uh, great subplot with uh, with uh, with Eddie's son Dylan and, and what's going on with him so yeah very very strong stuff I would highly recommend nipping back getting Venom number 21 and picking up Cates uh, and Bagley's uh, Venom Island which is and this is the second part of yeah Cool. Yeah, big shout out as well to Frank Martin and Eric Arcaniega who are the colour artists on this. The colours just pop the whole mm. way through it. Uh, especially with so many fire scenes at the end and the sort of glowing of the Carnage symbiote and all this kind of stuff. So and a great last page, which we will not spoil. Uh so yeah, very, very strong stuff. Uh Venom Island Part Two, which uh, was Venom twenty two. And this is sort of what I mean about uh this month being very uh there've been a lot of great spider related stuff because I would consider Venom to be very spider related and yeah. therefore Carnage to be very spider related with your uh, pick of the week. But in addition to that we had the second issue of uh Peter David Greg Land's Symbiote Spider Man Alien Reality, which is the second mini series from this pair chronicle in the time uh between the end of Secret Wars where Spider Man acquired the the alien costume and before the saga of the alien costume finished and uh he got rid of it in the church using the bells and it went to eddie so this is still during that that period um so i think greg land is maybe doing some like real career highlight work in this i mean the the pencil and it's lovely absolutely lovely um and i love i mean i love peter david writing spider-man or whether that's Spider-Man 2099 or, or, or Peter himself. So it's great. Uh, I mean, that's very, very nice oh, art. look at those lines. Very <laughs> nice art. Um, we've got a strange altered reality uh, situation here where the Hobgoblin has got a hold of a an artifact that has that has altered reality um, or, or magic that has altered reality. Oh, it's, it was a book. It was the Word of God. That's what it was. Uh, and he's, he's now... I think the Sorcerer Supreme or, or something and Doctor Strange is not so Spider-Man seeks out the Sorcerer Supreme and in this time he also discovers how much the world has changed uh, the world has changed in a very surprising way um, when we suddenly see the reappearance of uh, of Uncle Ben uh, mm. in quite a, quite a poignant uh, 
quite a poignant moment. Um, so yeah, great, uh, great book. Lots of action, lots of story, um, a little bit of uh, twisted reality. Uh, really enjoying, really enjoying how that's going. Uh, the first of the end books came out. Yeah. Uh, so you, Marvel's doing a series of books called The End, which are are based off a series they did in the two thousands. You know, a series of series that they did in the two thousands called The End. First one was these are these are these are single issues rather than series, and the first one was uh, Miles Morales The End. So we're seeing these heroes at at a projected end time of their lives. Yeah. Um, you know, so sometime in the future. Uh, so it's great to see a character, a youthful character like Miles Morales, and who he will become or who they they see he will become. So that was a really a really lovely story, all about the kind of drew upon the We Are Brooklyn, you know, side of things. You know, the uh, set in a future world, and uh, the the, well, the world seems to be overtaken by um, what they call germs, these big mutated germ things, and there's there's a wee bit of a mad a wee bit of a Mad Max thing going on, and. Uh, Miles has managed to seal off his home, which is Brooklyn, and made it something of a, a utopia. And now they they sort of defend it against the outsiders. So lovely, uh, lovely. Cool. Uh, it's the same creative team as the uh, normal run, isn't it? Solid yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Solid and Ahmed as the the writer on it. So yeah, good Perfect. stuff. Those covers are lovely as well. I think. Yeah, you know. they look really cool. Uh, yep. So um, anything else for you, Alan or? Um, Certainly, Marvel-wise, uh, I know that's a mini series you're enjoying there, Roddy, to say the least. Uh, yes, um, this was close to your pick of the week as well, wasn't it? It was pretty high up your list. Yeah, pretty high um, up my list. Sorry, I thought you were talking to Keith. No, <laughs> even though you said my name, even though I, I like, looked oh, at yeah. you, looked well, at your book. You know. I think uh, this one, <laughs> Conan: Serpent War, number three. Really enjoying this one. It's this is also four, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Next one's the end. Uh, so this one we've got Mark Spector and Solomon Kane have teamed up and also Agnes and Conan isn't that right Keith? that is exactly right so (laughs) they haven't all teamed up together they are separated and they are both searching for two sets of bodies yeah they are both searching we are revealed in this um, they're searching for two different bracelets two two different bracelets that are Twinned across time, yeah. Uh, to take the, on there's something to do with the uh, the serpent, isn't that right? Yeah, set, set, who serpent is the god, god yeah. of chaos and a whole lot of other things that might need researched. Um, but yeah, really enjoying it. Uh, writers Jim Zub and Luca Pizzari, and then where there's sort of like I don't want to really spoil it for anyone. Art's gorgeous, really. It's just a really fun book. I'm it really re- enjoying really it. It really is. There's a lot of, I mean, the personalities rubbing off one another. Uh, you know, Conan and Dark Agnes, and the fact that they're really not getting on at all. <laughs> Solomon Cain and Moon Knight. You know, both serve gods. One serves. He's a Puritan. Solomon Cain, the Puritan who serves a Christian god. Yeah, there's the Puritans. And, and uh, <laughs> there's Puritans. Yeah, I told you, I'm being haunted they by Puritans. Searching, they are following you know, him everywhere. Must, maybe I need to become a Puritan. Mm. Is, that, is that what I'm told here? Uh, and Moon Knight, who serves the Egyptian god of the moon, Khonshu. Um, and uh, I think Khonshu is more your style. Yeah, I think you could be right. Um, but yeah, it's really good. This is the third issue of four, and this is the issue where we start to see a wee bit of a turnaround. There's a wee bit of a something of a betrayal in here, would you say, Roddy? And uh, mm. But uh, not yeah, to go too deeply, know, too yeah. deeply into it. Uh, it's very, very good. I've, I've been, I've enjoyed all three of the, the issues so far. Yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice wee change of pace because it's not, um, 
it's not end of the world mm. stuff. It's not really. I don't want to say turn your brain off stuff because you still have to think. But it's like it's it's a it's a really fun romp and it knows what it is. But it's also it's not end of the world stuff. Well, yeah, I suppose. I don't know. <laughs> I don't trust that servant god. <laughs> and then we have the addition of a new god. But yeah, really, really cool stuff. And just it just shows like every every like other Marvel book seems to just be really fantastic they've got a really nice great lineup of talent working for them that even they can just knock out something like this yeah i mean it, using... it was it, it sort of came out with little fanfare mm-hmm. um and it's just that's a really solid four-parter i'm always happy to see moon knight and stuff yeah um, um they're using that conan license very well very well say. yeah yeah um, and um nice to see them with solomon kane and dark agnes who and, really knew nothing about uh, not 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 someone i knew another another creation of robert e howard's yeah um yeah. but uh what i'm really loving is the i'm really loving the solomon kane prose story at the back uh you know yeah. as they as they do yeah. in uh in the conan books you know they do a conan story so the conan the solomon kane four-part story really enjoyed it's it just yeah. as exciting yeah, yeah. almost yeah Cool. That's me. I think that's all my. I didn't really have a big pull list this week, unfortunately, folks. Quality over quantity, Roddy. Quality over quantity. Although you are missing out on some quality as uh, Keith and I reach the X oh. corner. Tell me what I'm missing. Yes, uh, the, uh, the mutant corner of the Marvel Universe. It's nice that we have one again. It's nice that there's one of such quality. Absolutely. So um, this week we had Excalibur, New Mutants, and X Force number five, all number five. All the fives, yeah. Uh, Excalibur's covering the magic corner of the mutant universe. New Mutants, the space corner. The space corner, and the the I guess in the, this the, the the youthful team, uh, though Cannonball and Sunspot and uh, Karma and uh, you know all of these folks. They've been about since the early eighties, so I don't know. I don't, don't know, know how useful they are. Yeah. yeah, and then X Force, which is covering the uh, the special ops uh, corner of I mean, the. Just look at that cover, the X Force. Forge, I love Forge. Such a cool character. Look at the amount of guns lying on the floor. Are they Krakoan <sighs> guns? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Forges, Forges using Krakoan uh, biotechnology now, so that's uh, pretty cool. Each of them, each of them were fantastic in their own right. Um, uh, Excalibur we've had the reappearance of Pete Wisdom who is one of my favourite characters of all time <laughs> he's nearly like a mutant non-magic John Constantine in the <laughs> Marvel Universe uh, you know he's that sort of cockney suit wearing you know wise ass cigarette smoking <clears throat> wise ass yeah I don't yeah um, New Mutants is great uh, Rod Reyes' artwork is lovely it was um, also a really f- funny issue i was sitting chuckling the whole way through it yeah i think primarily at the chat up lines but oh uh, robert da costa yeah <laughs> and uh x-force was was pretty stunning it's you know whenever you start with a an issue with wolverine cut in half yeah you, you know you're going somewhere well that's it it took me i was saying before to keep it took me sort of half a second i was like why is wolverine cut in half and then i remembered oh yeah they were jumping through the gates of krakoa they were closed got slightly yeah, okay we're good yeah 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 so it was good and <laughs> i mean there was the there's definitely a darkness about about a lot of the x-men you know domino beast having to more or less order her not to kill your man off yeah, because of the uh, whole it, it delves into the whole idea of revenge. Well, her trauma, so yeah, yeah, and then you and know, also I, the fact they can't keep anybody alive who's been sort of invading Krakoa to get information out of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They all seem to be on sort of suicide missions, or you know, there was there wasn't an X Force that there was the whole part in it where 
someone was saying, oh, these are just clones. Uh, and that was the same here. And then he's like, yeah. no, I'm not a clone. I've got it's a dog like, called uh, Rufus. They're just, <laughs> and he starts going in. It's like, oh, I have a son and I have a dog. And, you know, when I was in the fourth grade, this happened. It was like he was begging for his life by saying, like, I'm human. But that's kind of a negative as well to the mutants because, you know, you're human and you've tried to kill us. You're essentially our enemy. So, you know, you're not really pleading your case too well here. Uh but yeah, another great ep- another great issue of uh, of X Force. I mean, Beast looks so angry a couple of times. Yeah, he does. Um, I thought was really interesting because he's sort of come across so far as quite methodical and intelligent, and you know, very patient, I suppose. But this was the first one where, like, you know, he's sort of living up to his name. Yeah, bit. I mean, he's 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 torturing a guy. He's physically torturing a guy in in an undisclosed location in Krakoa. So. Even some of the dialogue, I mean, there was a part here that there's a page where um, Wolverine and Domino are just basically looking at the sunset uh, Mm -hmm. towards the end of the issue. And, you know, it's Sunset Cliffs, Krakoa later. You know, Wolverine comes up, how are you holding together, Dom? You know, Domino says, should be asking you the same. (laughs) Very literally. (laughs) Feel like a piece of shit, but I'll be all right with time. And she says, you know, what about the other wounds, the wounds up here? And he's like, those don't heal quite as good. But whiskey helps numb what needs numbing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's uh How's Quentin? Stuff. Oh, he's baking in the oven right now. <laughs> yeah, so a, a reference to the resurrection process. Resurrection process. I'm sure he'll come out overdone. <laughs> let's quit. Let's enjoy the quiet while we can. You Just, know, there's one, one really spectacular scene here when half a Wolverine is doing some serious damage to some boys. <laughs> Just jumps through the air. Yeah. That's uh, uh that X again. It's Kasaron art as well. Yeah. It's just absolutely awesome. Yeah, I love, I love him. He's awesome. Love and his, I, love uh, I've sort of been, uh, I've been toying with the, you know, the Krakoan language. You know, we we got a set of cards that have the translator on it in some of the first issues, and I think the way they're ordering these, in, each, in the back of each issue, there's a circle with yeah. one letter in the middle of it, and I think we're seeing. I don't know. Yeah, we need to, we need to go back and, and totally nerd out and uh, and do some translations. Yeah definitely mm-hmm. um so yeah you know it's it's hard not to always pick x-force as your favorite title every time but uh yeah it just continues to be great great work i think and then yeah for me new mutants was a lot of fun uh just funny the whole way through it as well and new mutants keeps bouncing about quite a bit as well it's got two uh two concurrent story, story arcs yeah so i think we'll get two more we'll get another uh Another space. Uh, another issue. one with uh with yeah the Claremont New Mutants and then we'll we'll probably nip back to the uh to the um uh who was it? Uh Morrison New Mutants. Um at that stage. So uh Marvel's Marvel's X number one was also uh, a decent read. Um it is a prelude to uh Alex Ross and Jim Kruger's Earth X from way back when. Um, written by Alex Ross and, and Jim Kruger, uh, uh, art by by Well B, and uh, mm. it 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 covers the lead up to the to the virus which changes the world in, in Earth X. So uh, really interesting stuff. Follows a follows a little kid, um, a little kid called David, uh, who lives with his family and is obsessed with superheroes. At the start he's playing a bit of a bit of a superhero role playing game when his parents are watching the news about the about this virus that's that's sweeping the world. He lives in an extended family with his with his grandmother as well. Um his parents are, are, are killed off within the first two pages and uh 
his sister has contracted the virus, which mutates people, gives them gives them powers. Um, and so mutants are being blamed, and uh, his grand just gives him a bit of information before she passes on, and it's, there's all sorts of stuff that that happens. So it's it's pretty cool stuff. He can't leave the house. Whenever he leaves the house, there's all these mutates everywhere. People have mutated, and some of them are not nice people. Chaos <laughs> everywhere. So whenever he he's a short kid, so whenever he leaves the house, he puts on a green goblin mask in order to look more dangerous and he he deli- talks about deliberately not riding his sister's bike you know which has a basket on it when he goes to collect groceries because you know he's pretty short and you know he doesn't have any power so maybe riding a girl's bike wouldn't be the best idea that's <laughs> <laughs> uh, kind of weird so uh yeah so in the end you know he his sister decides she can't stay anymore his grandma passes on and uh, he starts his he goes walkabout he decides he's going to new york to find the heroes because uh, obviously they can help him and they can stop it and he very quickly uh, meets a he's attacked by mutates and he very quickly meets an individual who uh, he's a truck driver uh, wearing a cap and he has all these flame tattoos down his arms um, and he, he has a shotgun but uh, I don't know I kind of thought there was a there was a wee nip of Ghost Rider about him he calls himself John I think we're talking about uh, an older version of John Blaze here because um, oh. I think if you notice there's there's flames coming out of the truck whenever it's so so yeah it's pretty uh it's pretty pretty cool there doesn't seem to be it's a, it's a it's a quest the kid's going on a quest to find the heroes and you know he's John says I, I hope they're there kid I really do but I have to be honest there's very little guarantee that there are any heroes left so uh, I'm going to so pick up issue two of this it's how many issues is it I think it's a four four off the top of my head four part prequel cool. to Earth X um, it has definitely encouraged me to uh, to pick up the the EarthX trade paperback, mm. uh, which is going to be released on the 29th of this month. Uh, if you could stick me down for that, assuming it's a softback, Alan. Yeah, I think um, it is. Yeah, trade trade paperback. I do Indeed. remember reading it back back in the day, but whenever I looked at my CLZ, it seems I only have the first three or four issues, so I must have borrowed it off someone at the time. So I wouldn't mind getting a hold of that. That's me and Marvel. Yeah, cool, cool. Uh, yeah, I can confirm that is indeed a trade paperback new printing collecting Earth X zero to twelve. Uh, yeah, cool. I'll get you sorted right. on that along the way. Anything uh, in the uh, in the indie section for you guys for honorable mentions? Couple of strong ones. I thought I I was quite enamored with uh, the clock. clock number one was. was brilliant matt hawkins uh, wasn't that right yeah matt hawkins the writer artwork by colleen doran colors by brand valenza letters troy pateri uh brilliant cover first of all uh the cover just evokes so many great images you know you have the earth at the bottom essentially being suffocated by this plant which is in the formation of the sort of contagion symbol you got the doomsday clock imagery there you got mm. Um, also got at the top there sort of a population uh, diagram as well but it was the clock is set to probably about five minutes to midnight yeah it was indeed so uh, yeah I mean at its at its heart I mean it, it, the clock is basically about a strange form of cancer that's uh, spreading like a virus across the globe but what's interesting about it is you know it's taking loved ones young and old rich poor doesn't matter it's seemingly it's extremely um, virulent isn't that right and aggressive kills within two months very much so yeah and it, it doesn't target anywhere in particular but the the issue kicks off with this uh doctor who's essentially in nigeria because it seems to be that not a lot of people are uh, afflicted there 
So they're trying to find patterns. They're trying to find ideas for why it's affecting some people but not others, that kind of thing. Um, but what's interesting is as well, while he is away in Nigeria, he then gets a phone call. His wife has unfortunately succumbed to the disease as well. And this is given, you know, the state, this is heightening the stakes, but also, you know, progressing the story really fast that he really wants to make sure people aren't going through the pain he goes yeah, through. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I know we sort of, you know, wind keep Keith up every so often about clean lines and all the rest, but this is a beautiful looking book, just very well drawn, very, you know, there's a couple of pulled back double page spreads or or, or single page spreads. Uh, the one in the in the the camp in Nigeria. Yeah. And uh, it nearly feels a wee bit. Where's Wally? <laughs> you know, there's there's it's at that it's at, what I mean is it's yeah. at that scale. You know. Yeah. Um. But you no, you're, you you can see where how life is going on in this in this camp. You know. And then there's another uh, really chilling uh, one page spread that pulls back a little bit and uh, it's in the it's in the, the graveyard yeah. cemetery where. They're burying uh, his wife and the mother of his daughter, um, and she looks out and says, "Well, at least at least mum will have company." And they're like, "What do you mean?" And they look around the cemetery, and there are like 20, 20 uh, funerals yeah. going on. Yeah, the daughter um, says lots of people are going to heaven today, uh, uh, but it also set up a really interesting sort of who done it at the end as well, because maybe the wife didn't die from this disease; um, she was murdered. Yeah, I didn't. I don't know if that necessarily implied that she didn't die of the disease. Uh, rather it may imply that, weaponized. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, which that sort the, of thing. The, 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 the chat at the end of the book, the back matter would suggest is maybe the case. So scary thought, scary thought. Yeah, I mean, it ended as well with a great uh, page. Uh, it's not a massive spoiler or anything, but just thought it was really atmospheric. But there's this, um, this uh, school group out on a day out to the Smithsonian Museum in Washington. And uh, the guide is saying, and here we have the famous population clock that shows the growth of human population for the world. Overpopulation is a problem. The number of humans has grown exponentially and many fear it's out of control. And then this guy's looking at it, uh, current world population, and then it shows it about three seconds later and it's went down by 131. And they're like, then why is it going backwards? You know, just quite chilling. Um, yeah, great book. I thought very I, strong, um, number one. I loved the back matter at the end. Yeah, It was really, really fun. I think he, Matt, Matt Hawkins, Hawkins. I love the thought of him going to some uh, like research thing in a hotel and asking, so can you weaponize cancer? <laughs> and all these people just looking at him. <laughs> but I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the, the scientific nature of it. It was yeah, really intriguing to me. It's sort of hard sci-fi, isn't it? Yeah. And I think he, he's known for that too. Yeah, he, he had a whole I list of his books at the end there. Think, that I've think never tank read as well. Think Tank, but it got me really mm. curious to read it, just be off the strength of this. So... Uh, yeah, I thought that was really strong. Number one made a made a good impression. Uh, another wee uh, boom book for me, um, if that's all right. Um, so this that's is all right. Well, thank you, Ronnie. <laughs> uh, this is a one shot from uh, the Firefly ongoing series. It's a spinoff. Uh, it's a spinoff, but it definitely ties directly into what's happening in the series. That the series has been written by uh, by Greg Pak, um, uh, and he also writes this one shot. Uh, and the art in this uh, is by uh, David uh, Gianfelice and uh, George oh. Cambadis. There's George Cambadis. Cambadis. He, he worked on Tales of Fractured Worlds. Ah, there you are. Maybe this is one for you then. Yep. Ah, oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, there we go. A little, uh, a little, yeah, a, little a little close remote. link. Yeah. So, um, 
So what I really love about the, the Firefly book is how well Greg Pak has the voices of Joss Whedon's characters from, because, I mean, Firefly was really built upon the dialogue and the patter and the snarky back and forth, you know, and he's really he's really sort of got this down. But um, and at the end of the last uh, arc of Firefly, we encountered uh, Mal Reynolds, Mal- Malcolm Reynolds' mother, the outlaw Ma Reynolds, the woman who raised him and uh, sort of, I guess, made him into the man he was, but uh, they don't necessarily see eye to eye and she remains an outlaw. Yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't think they'd get along. No, no, they don't, they don't really get along. I mean, she's certainly given him her steel, you know, that sort of way. But, uh, but yeah, so this, it's a great, uh, coming off the back of the, the last arc, it's a great book and it sort of follows. Uh, Mal has been put in a position by the Alliance that in order to get off, uh, from 20 years uh, hard time uh, in prison, uh, he agrees, he has to agree to go and uh, hunt down his outlaw mother. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's really good. So the, the the story juxtaposes two timelines. One, we see Mal being raised, it was tw- 20 years ago, Mal as, a, Mal as a child being raised by Maud uh, and, uh, you know, where he learns various lessons and, and how to be the man he becomes, and then the other, the other storyline uh, is him and uh, another character, the reunificator Boss Moon, hunting down Ma Reynolds and her, uh, and her team of her group of outlaws. So it's very much, I mean, the whole the whole sci-fi, Wild West space adventure thing that Joss Whedon created for for Firefly is very much present here. Um, yeah, it's lovely. It's 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 the art is is, is really fitting and and really suitable. Uh, for the story being told, and it 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 finishes up in a place that is obviously gonna continue straight into Firefly thirteen at the start of a New York with uh with Mal just having been uh been given a promotion by uh, by the Alliance and he's like I don't work for the Alliance and he's like you did a good job Reynolds uh, thanks congratulations on your po- on your promotion Sheriff Reynolds <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah really uh, I'm really enjoying this it's always quite low key in my my choices but i always enjoy it mm-hmm. you know every every week every month so uh this we this we one shot was nice as well and uh i had uh i had no idea that we had a, a fracture press link there yeah yeah indeed Fantastic. He's done, he had another one out um for idw i can sell you a body or something yeah that's what it's called just number one of x so yeah he's doing week. well so hopefully i'll uh get to that stage at some point but sweet we shall see uh, that's more or less me, Jens. Cool. Uh, well, I, I go up. I step up to the plate for one more. Um, last one on my list was The Butcher of Paris, number two, based on a true story of a notorious murderer in Paris in 1944. Oh, what's a true story? Based on a true story. It does um, say that on the front do, of every issue. Yeah, I do believe it is quite accurate. <laughs> in blood. I can't, no, just I can't remember the... I was looking it up and I can't remember the actual name of the doctor, but it is be- like it's, I believe it is very well true to life from what I can tell so far. But if you don't know, um, so in 1944, swastikas flew over Paris. Obviously, the Nazis have sort of took control of Paris by this point. Uh, that gives the doctor or the notorious butcher, as he's called, uh, pretty much free reign on the city to... He basically tricks people into giving them their freedom. Anyone that wants out of the city, he might uh, he uses them and basically murders them. 
basically in the first one there is the police get hold of a link and they realize what's going on and that sparks an like a cat and mouse game between the nazis and the french police to capture this the butcher of paris um number two is interesting i thought alan and i were sort of saying before i think it's going to read really well as a trade but because you were saying you don't feel like it doesn't end really there's there's (laughs) never a sort of you know a lot of comics that we certainly read comics are designed so that when you get to the end of an issue you go i can't wait for the next Mm -hmm. issue it's a you know cliffhanger or a revelation or something it just seems to stop dead it's almost like it's there's our 24 pages stop it just you know trails off like if you're talking and then you just kind of go like this yeah yeah. um but yeah like i'm still really intrigued by the story but um i really do feel like it's gonna be a really good trade read you know like like as simon says or um you know like something can't really can't think of anything else it's too late we've talked for too long um (laughs) like simon says um but yeah really like it's really enjoyable book um stephanie phillips and dean cotts and jason wardy as well yeah that's, i think that's have, it for uh, me i think my my words are not coming out right I so i'm gonna stop first, talking first half of the first issue and i'm really keen to read the rest on mm-hmm. the second issue cool uh, yeah, just two very quick ones just to throw out at the end for me. There's a really good series at the moment, again, through our good friends at Boom, uh, called The Magicians, uh, which is based on an existing property uh, to do with a magic school. Uh, this is actually to do with a new group of students coming to the school, and it's as far as issue three out of five. And uh, yeah, it's just a really class title. Uh, it really has got me intrigued to go back and read the original uh, Magician stuff. Uh, it's uh, from series creator Lev Grossman uh, in terms of the writing and the art is by uh, Pius Back. Uh, and then you've also got uh, Leela Sturges co-writing as well. So yeah, really, really good title that one. And then one last one from me is called Dine is Easy, which is a quote, shit talk Holmes mystery. Uh, this is written by Joe Hill. So him again and art by martin simmons uh it's about a former cop who is now who's a disgraced cop who is now trying his hand at uh, stand-up comedy and at the end of the first issue there's a comedian he accuses of stealing his material and uh he threatens him says he'll kill him if he does it again and the issue ends with that comedian dead and this guy's the number one suspect (laughs) so uh yeah it's just so obviously he calls on his cop skills as well as uh his quote skills as a as a comedian but yeah fun fun series just going to be four issues and first two have been pretty pretty great so far so yeah that as far as i can tell is the conclusion of the week of the 8th of january nice one gents and uh, releases. and the week of the 15th of january is this week which you know, release week. you can look forward to because you've you know got through your pile. I have, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That that's a first. That's the first time in months that I really? will have been through my pie, my pull list by the time the next pull list comes out. So well, I'm going to try and keep it that way. Good start to the year <laughs> for you. Isn't yeah, it? absolutely. So uh, what are we looking forward to next week? Roddy's revenge steps in at this point. Go on, Roddy, you give us what? yours. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be the bigger man You're and just say I'm looking forward to the question number two, the death of Vic Siege. Really looking forward to that. Jeff Lemire, uh, 
Joseph Sinkinovich on art. Um, oh, really? Yeah, that's who the that's who the um, really that's who the artist was. Really, just really black label though, Keith. Big, one of those big ones. Big, Whenever they release it as a normal size comic book, we'll talk. Um, yeah, really looking forward to it. Thought the first one was really, really good, really intriguing. And let's see what else I have. It was great as well to read a black label title that wasn't Harley, Batman, or Superman. Yeah, so, I'm because the question I very uh, certainly Vic Sage, I have very little knowledge of. Yeah, I would know the question more is her name on Toya. Uh, yeah, me too. From New Fifty Two, sort of. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, first issue was great. Looking forward to that. Cool. Um, yeah, that's that's it for me. No, um, it's not. Ah, uh, come on. See, uh, see, you said you weren't going to do it, but the question was one of my two. So. Was it? <laughs> well, you can have, you can have the other one. It's fine. You go ahead. Uh, so the next one is Undiscovered Country number three. Woohoo! Yes. Yeah. Le- yeah, can't wait for that one. I think that'll be one of the biggest titles of the month. Um, definitely in the groove. I think we. We read in the back matter that this will be a Snyder issue. <laughs> they sort of alternate the writing yeah, off it right, all. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, like I'm excited to see where the story goes. As bonkers and crazy as it is, might not be one for Keith though. And then I know I enjoy. I really enjoyed the first two issues. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I think he's 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 got himself firmly reined in. Charles Soule mm-hmm. has has put a wee ball and chain on him and said, "Right, <laughs> this is what you're doing, Scott." I would say they've worked out the entire story and then just yeah. it's like yeah. while I'm off writing this, you write this issue. But I doubt they'll veer away from, you know, what they were, you know, trying to say or anything like that. So Yeah. Uh, and then I have two more, but there's question marks over these ones. <laughs> which you can explain, Alan, but uh they are second coming number six, which was Supposed to be a bumper-sized final issue, and then Transformers number 16. Well, Transformers, I'll be honest, I'm having trouble finding any information on Transformers 16 because one of the resources I use is comiclist.com, and mm-hmm. they update their listings on a Monday. So it's when things have been shipped. As I look at IDW Publishing, Transformers isn't there. No. And it's not mm. there for next week either. So it's on League of Comic Geeks. Yeah. So, it's so they might be wrong. So I'm not too sure. Um, it's been known to happen. The other one, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Second Coming, yeah, that's the last issue of it. Uh, that's a, a traditional uh, diamond faux pas in that I have ordered the issues and they're not on my invoice. But I have sourced them from elsewhere just to make sure my customers get them as soon as possible. Uh, Good, man. So they should be here by <laughs> probably Thursday, Friday anyway. Uh, yeah, Second Coming I'm looking forward to as well. It's been a really fun series. For me, three stand out this week and... Again, because you took the question, it's a weird week again. There's not a lot of big DC stuff. I'm I'm standing up for DC here. Somebody has to. <laughs> <laughs> for me, the three I'm looking forward to most. One is indie and uh, two are Marvel. Uh, for me, the indie one is Red Mother, uh, number two. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the first one. This was the title by Jeremy Kwan and yes, Danny Luckert. Really enjoyed that first one too, actually. yeah. Uh, really creepy vibes. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that. So looking forward to number two. Uh, and then the two Marvel titles I'm looking forward to most is obviously given how much I enjoyed Ruins of Ravencroft, or Ruins of Ravencroft, sorry. So we get Sabretooth number one this week, which will continue on that story. And the other one for me is uh, Jessica Jones' Blind Spot starts this week with a new number one. So looking forward to that. Oh, and I, I should finish off with another one, sorry. It's something that came out about what two months ago maybe 
Another classic diamond story. I ordered four copies of it. Two arrived. I reported it. They said, we're out of stock of that. We'll get them to you when we can. Ah, diamond. Uh, yes, the joys of it. Uh, so good that there was even a joke about diamond in a, uh, in a comic recently. Yes, <laughs> That's right. Olympia number two. We didn't... That was the... Um, was that the 18th that came out? That crazy, yeah. crazy month. Um, yeah, Vicky reminded me of it there. There was a wee, we there, a wee jibe. Yeah. Yeah. A wee jibe. But yeah, this the one that uh, Keith was just pointing out to me there that I'm finally getting this week is my Bone One Volume uh, softcover edition. Oh, wow. So this is good timing because I'm off to England in a couple of weeks. And uh, instead of having to bring loads of comics or trades, I can just bring that brick with ah, me. Ah, fantastic. And get my way yeah. through that. Do you think uh, they'll let you on the plane with that? I don't know. I wonder. It's a weapon. It might be a weapon. You know, it's... <laughs> someone, someone says to me, what are you doing reading those stupid kids books i might just have to you know put like, listen, it's, <laughs> it's bugs bunny meets the lord of the rings, meets the lord yeah. of rings. exactly and then and, they'll be converted and i mean i think if alan reads it uh, and i have another wee read at it we're maybe looking at a at a epic sized book <laughs> at an epic sized book club okay but mouse is next yep mouse is next. mouse cool uh, yourself, Keith. uh so i'm going to be all about the board with regard to companies uh, Iron Man 2020 is starting next week, so I'm kind of interested in in that and, and what that brings. Um, and that's Dan Slot continuing with Iron Man, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, the first the first appearance of Iron Man 2020 was an incoming number one there uh, just before Christmas. Uh, so that, that'll be interesting. Uh, Nightwing 68, uh, we have the, the Talon storyline sort of coming to an end, and it looks like... Uh, Certainly from the, the blurb, it looks like uh, Rick Grayson is having a bit of a crisis of personality, you know, is the understanding that the Rick Grayson personality and so forth is a possibly a product of the Court of Owls. He's maybe coming back to his to his old uh, Nightwing personality, but can he still be Nightwing whenever there are four other people wearing the uniform? Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Just about ready to, to see... Uh, to see Rick Grayson back to being Dick Grayson and back to... Uh, back in the back in the threads um, and then lastly mm-hmm. He-Man and the Masters of the Multiverse number 3 uh, I believe we're going to be seeing the 2002 Masters of the Universe cartoon and toys appearing in this particular issue as uh, as uh, Keldor and uh, Dolph Lundgren He-Man and uh, Easter Special He-Man journey across the multiverse um, encountering various you know, uh, trying to trying to take down anti He Man and encountering various iterations of He Man as they go. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to that. This thing sounds bonkers. Like, it is it? pretty bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> and also, do not adjust your uh, headphones. That was me looking forward mostly to two Marvel titles, and Keith mostly looking forward to two DC titles. So, oh yeah, that's a He Man's a DC title, isn't <laughs> it? it? Isn't mm. So uh, at least someone's sticking up for those good old folks at DC. Since Bizarre I seem world, to be, it? it is, yeah. yeah. Since I'm letting the side down and all that, uh, cool. I think that is going to do it for us for this week. Then uh, many thanks as always to Roddy, to Thank Keith, you. and to Kit. No, sorry, he's not here. And to your good self, Alan. And indeed, uh, yep. Pleasure as always, guys. Look forward to next week. Uh, for now, that is us. Good night. Hey. Keep on winging it. This podcast is brought to you by Coffee and Heroes, a comic book store in Smithfield Market, Belfast. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. This podcast is also produced in association with Fracture Press, an independent comic label also based in Belfast. 
You can also find Fracture Press on all major social media platforms. If you like what we do, please subscribe, rate and review, and most importantly, spread the word. Mm -hmm.